BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Warning, the Drunken Peasants podcast is full of comedic exaggerations, independent thought, insensitivity, and other offensive content. We strongly urge all viewers and listeners to keep their brains and their skulls throughout the entire duration of this podcast. Failure to do so will result in immediate death. If you wish to support this podcast, there are several ways to do so. First, you can sign up for a free audiobook trial at audibletrial.com forward slash drunken peasants. Audible is the foremost seller of audiobooks today with hundreds of thousands of titles to satisfy all manner of tastes. Second, if you shop on Amazon.com, please use the Amazon affiliate links in the description section of this video. Every purchase you make helps to support this podcast's existence. Third, please peruse our merchandise and see if any of it strikes your fancy. We sell a lot of t-shirts, so we must be doing something right. One more thing before I go. To make an official submission to the Drunken Peasants, whether it be a video for one of our segments, or fan art, or a picture of you wearing one of our shirts, or anything you think we might want to use on the show, that stuff needs to be sent to the Drunken Peasants Facebook inbox. Please do not send correspondence, as this will be deleted unread. With all that shit out of the way, it's time to begin the show. From the frigid armpit of America, this is the Drunken Peasants Podcast with Ben and TJ, bringing you opinions of the news from an altered perspective. Fuck it! <laughs> you got a joint? Uh, no, not on me, man. I don't have facts to back this up. It'd be a lot cooler if you did. What the fuck you talking about, atheist? No, it's okay. You're nothing, okay. TJ. You're garbage. Okay. I just want to no, no, be no, light. No, You're no, garbage. No, no, no. And now, here are your hosts, Ben and TJ. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. Fucking thing sucks. Welcome, everybody, to the Drunken Peasants Podcast, episode 339. 339. Yes. And we've my, got. My, how fine. Today we have a special edition of Drunken Peasants for everyone. We have a debate between our own Paul's ego and Howard Bloom. Wow. Pessimistic Paul versus Ooh. hopeful Howard. Yep. The subject is the future of the human race. <laughs> this is a daunting debate for me. It should Don't be. be daunted, Paul. Welcome back to the show, Howard. Howard was our first guest. Our That's first awesome. guest ever. ever here on the Welcome Drunken back. Peasants podcast. Well, Welcome and back, the big Howard. question is, is there a future for the human race? That is, that is That's true. true. Oh, that, that is, is one true. Of the big I'm questions. glad that we agree on that. And we can get right into the fucking uh, debate if Scotty's ready to time keep. 
I most certainly so am. So I should probably explain really quickly to our viewers the uh, format of this debate. I'm going to pose uh, questions, and uh, I'll d- decide you know, who it's going to first. That person will get three minutes. The other person will get three minutes. And then uh, from there, we just open it up to free-form discussion. When that runs its course and however long it takes, we move on to the next fucking subject. Is Paul okay? No, Paul is not okay. I'm, not, I'm never okay. Paul is sweating goddamn he bullets. He should be. Oh, God. He should that be. is what Paul be is doing. Be very afraid. And we have the chat up above. Remember, uh, super chat comments yeah. will oh, yeah. be seen. And also that remember true. that our chat is retarded. Yes. Don't judge, <laughs> yeah. don't judge us yeah. by our chat. I wouldn't even, yeah, I wouldn't even yeah. read it. <laughs> don't worry about that. Um, so, um, the first... Uh, Sky, you ready to time keep, buddy? I am ready. All right. So, Paul, I'm going to start off with you. Okay. Because you have a famous uh, saying. Everybody knows it here on the show. Bring on the nukes. I don't know what you're talking about. I've never heard anyone Bring on, on the show the say that. Yes. I've never once heard anyone on the show say that. Be quiet, Ben. About, Shut up, Ben. <laughs> Bring, on, Bring on the nukes is your, is your catchphrase, Paul. Sure. Could you... Uh, you have three minutes uh-huh. to explain to us what that phrase means. Okay. And uh, why you feel that way. Sure. <clears throat> uh, first and foremost, I don't really relish the thought of anybody being nuked. Bring on the nukes was born out of a sense of frustration because I see a lot of uh, very critical problems facing humanity, and I don't see humanity facing towards those problems looking for solutions. And I see that those problems are going to bring a, lot, a great deal of suffering and human misery. And if we don't turn away from those or turn turn ourselves towards those things, then we may as well save future generations horrible misery and just launch the fucking nukes now and just glass the planet and give evolution a chance to maybe create something uh, that's empathetic enough uh, to be a steward of this planet and maybe reach outside of its uh, its influence. So that's what Bring on the Nukes is about. And I yield the, the balance of my time. All right. So, Howard, what do you here's think about deal. what Paul just said? Uh, here's the deal. Um, way back in the 19th century, um, Charles Dickens said at the beginning of A Tale of Two Cities, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And he rattled off a list of catastrophic perceptions of what was happening in the world. The fact is that in the time since then, this has proven, the Western civilization has proven, to be the greatest civilization in the history of mankind, the greatest problem-solving machine in the history of mankind. In the years since uh, Dickens wrote that, we have more than doubled the human lifespan. It's gone up from 38.5 years to over 70 years. Um, We have increased the average IQ by 35 points. The average supposedly dumbed-down Facebook addict um, wandering the streets at the age of 15 it measures marginal genius on a Stanford and IQ test from 1915. We have increased the average height by four inches. We have decreased your chance of dying a violent death at the hands of a fellow human being by ten times. You are one-tenth as likely to die a death, a violent death, at the hands of another human being. In other words, we've increased the peace by a factor of nine, or a factor of ten. So much as there are huge problems facing us, much as we are confused about how to face them, we have something in Western civilization called the protest industry. It has focused its eyes on them. It is working on them. But somehow we manage to solve problems, even if we don't know and when we don't know that we are solving them. 
All right. So uh, <clears throat> since both of you guys have done your thing, I'm going to start off with Paul, and we're going to open up the free forum discussion on this subject. Uh, sure. Paul, I what do you what do you say to what Howard just said? I don't. I wouldn't dispute any of the positive uh, statistics. I've heard them elsewhere, and I don't dispute uh, the veracity of those. I do. I do think that there are some negative things that have grown since the 19th century that bear talking about. Um, I certainly don't have a mind for uh, the actual statistics, but I do know that the uh, planet has gotten warmer on average since the 19th century. Uh, I see that um, accelerating as uh, countries like China and India industrialize and put more and more carbon into the atmosphere. I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. So, yes, we have created the peace. Like you said, yeah, yeah, it's much more peaceful now. There's less death. There's less violence. We are a more progressive people on the whole. But we've created monsters along with that. And if we don't turn towards those things, we're not going to have a planet to live on. Well, I agree with you, except that there have been something like 60 global warmings in the 200,000 years since we first emerged as Homo sapiens sapiens, our modern form. Sure. And we have somehow we have somehow survived them. Once upon a time, 155 million years ago, the South Pole, Antarctica, was so tropical that dinosaurs were roaming the place. The planet oh, is what that. makes us. The planet is what makes us go violently up and down. There have been periods of snowball Earth, where the snow on the surface of the Earth was three to six miles deep, even at the equator. So this is a planet, a catastrophic climate change. And we have developed climate stabilization technologies, walls, roofs, clothing, fireplaces, central sure. heating. And now I think we need, to find, we need to create the really big uh, climate stabilization technologies like harvesting solar power in space, beaming it down to Earth using lasers in order to turn hurricanes for Jamaica in another direction. To harness the fucking hurricanes. They're an energy source. So the future sure. is huge if we can only avoid our own our own nuclear weapons. There are 120 nuclear weapons in Pakistan. Islam is um, Islam has two faces: a peaceful face and a death cult. And the death cult is trying to get its hands on those weapons. I so don't we disagree. Are, what about what about the things outside of our ideology, though, outside of our direct influence that we're not really prepared for? Uh, well, we've been hearing a, that, doomsday scenarios about the Yellowstone caldera and the Northwest subduction zone and the possibility of a world killing asteroid that slips through our ability to see it. And, you know, we're not preparing ourselves for life off of this planet. And this planet is finite, as I understand it. The sun is finite and when the sun goes nothing's going to be able to live here um so w w what are we doing to uh, prepare ourselves for that um these are wonderful points and we are preparing ourselves for that uh elon musk single-handedly has got the only practical mars program on the face of the earth and everything that elon has ever set out to do he has done um he's launched something like 42 rockets successfully He's had 10 capsules make it to the International Space Station and then come back to Earth with used experiments for us to analyze. He is on his way to Mars. He knows he's on his way to Mars. And when it came time to rename what he used to call his Mars Colonial Transporter, with which he was going to take uh, thousands of people at a time to Mars in order to establish a city of over a million people, he renamed it uh, the, the Interplanetary Transport because he saw that it could be used not just for Mars, but for every heavenly body 
up there above our heads. Well, do you, do you taken... allow, Howard? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, on Elon... No, you have to interrupt on, on, me, or I'll uh, go on forever. On the, su- <laughs> on the subject of Elon Musk, do you allow for the fact that, you know, Elon has made some pretty lofty promises in the past about technologies. I remember a few years ago he was talking about a whole house solar battery um, that was going to just p- take people off the grid and uh, the, the the technology in practice ends up being way more cumbersome and expensive than you know any normal person could possibly afford. Uh, is, he, is he just a dreamer with a no, lot of money? A, he's, a, he's a doer. He is the greatest doer I have ever seen in my life. When I first met him I insisted on having four telephone conversations with him and Paul I couldn't figure out why the heck I was wasting his time and it took took me time to realize you know I've worked with superstars Michael Jackson Prince Bob Marley Bette Midler Billy Idol etc and my gut was telling me that this man was a fucking superstar that 110 years from now kids would be modeling their life on his life Um, so he he has accomplished things that everybody (laughs) thought were impossible we know he's gonna do his Mars thing Um, I, I I haven't followed his solar stuff and his battery stuff, but he's building the biggest factory in the history of the world to make batteries in Nevada because his battery plans are coming to fruition. And he owns a solar company. Yeah, he owns a solar company. And I'm not sure exactly what that solar company does, but look, when Elon got out of college, he asked himself, what are the three things that are going to make the greatest difference to humanity, that are going to change humanity the most in my lifetime? And he answered, the Internet alternative energy and space so first he went into the internet and helped build paypal and made roughly a billion dollars when he sold his share of the company sure. he went directly to he skipped over step two alternative energy and went directly to step three space spacex and, yeah and spacex <coughs> is now doing things on a reliable basis that no one that only one other company has done and in fact he's doing things no other company has done what because would you yeah, go I, ahead. Sorry, can I, I, oh, I go just ahead, interject DJ, something please. really quickly here? Um, I was wondering um, what you guys think about uh, the idea that, uh, you know, yeah, we've made all this progress and stuff, but the rate at which we make progress is no longer really keeping up with the rate of techno- technological progress. So, like, human minds only adapt to new things so quickly, and sure. yet the world is changing so quickly now. It's almost like the argument about... Uh, you know, uh, we, we have all these, these uh, weapons of mass destruction, and we have all these people who still have very regressive, uh, primal, tribalistic sort of beliefs that there's a potential that those people get a hold of them. Uh, you know, that's just one example. But, like, you know, that, that we're not really progressing fast enough to, to, actually, to actually avoid destroying ourselves just because we're not really ready for the amount of... Uh, power that we're being given as human beings. I mean, I can't really base my reaction to that on anything other than a feeling, being a human being living on this planet, consuming the news and trying to get an idea what's going on. I I think that that's correct. I I I feel like that nobody really like... Howard is talking very, uh, you know, uh, optimistically about this stuff, and I and I I want... Look, I like Elon Musk. I like that there are people out there like him. I don't know that I have as much faith in, in him as Howard does. But once again, Howard has the benefit of having met the guy and, and spoken to him on several occasions. I only know what I see. And I haven't really seen it. But if he lands a foot on Mars, I'm happy. You know, I'm happy that he's out there. But is it is it enough? Is just putting a boot on Mars fast enough for us to outpace this kind of warmongering bullshit? I mean, North Korea seems to be kind of a focal point recently. And there are nukes on both ends of that. 
And those you know things I mean? are dangerous, but the deal is that once upon a time, we took an incredibly hostile planet, a, a planet of climate disaster and catastrophe, and we greened it and gardened it. By we, I mean life. Uh, for the last 4.1 billion years, life has been growing steadily, imperialistically, colonialistically, and greening this appalling planet. And when I say appalling, I'm talking about those days of the great uh, ice storms where, where the whole of the global warmings when dinosaurs were roaming in Antarctica. We've, we grew up in the face of these catastrophes. 200,000 years ago, when we emerged, this planet was in the middle of a great ice age. Our sure. task now is to take a whole bunch of hostile balls of stone hanging above our heads and turn them green too. And the more of them we turn green, the more alternatives there are, not just for humans, but for life. But given, given the rapid uh, die-off of species, the rapid deforestation, the rapid uh, growing of cities and the, and the pollution that comes with that, how, how, how have we done as stewards of the planet? Remember that, that no, other, no other creature on the face of the Earth has ever had self-critical abilities. And no other creature on the face of the planet has ever had protest movements. Protest movements started uh, in, in the 18 or in the 1780s over slavery. And then sure. they grew to, uh, to oppose imperialism and all kinds of things. Well, protest movements in the 1960s focused their eyes on these environmental catastrophes. And they have become a great force in the world. And if you go to China and talk to Chinese, you will discover that as long ago as 10 years ago, they were using the eco-vocabulary. They were very conscious of their environment. They, yes, they have the most polluted cities in the world, but they are on the path to ending that pollution. They are on the I mean, path to solar energy. Part, part of the problem, though, is is to have a conversation with, with Chinese people in some regions of China, you have to learn to do so without the benefit of facial expression because people are wearing uh, breath masks because yes. the air there is so absolutely fucking putrid and toxic. You know, so, I mean, what's being, like... <laughs> There, they are. When I when I went there uh, about seven years ago, um, they took and I was with a bunch of American space scientists. We were talking about harvesting solar power in space and transmitting it to Earth. They took us on a Potemkin village tour. There was a huge building, a really big industrial building, and they took us inside and showed us what they claimed was a bunch of people making solar panels. In reality, it was a joke. The factory was empty. This was a show. This was theater. They re weren't really making those solar panels. But in the time since then, they have undercut everybody in the world in the mass production of solar panels. I'm co-designing a multi-planetary mission at Caltech right now, and it involves the use of solar panels. We are buying our solar panels from China for $2.13 each. The Chinese use their coal in order to catch up with America industrially. Now they are going far, far ahead of us in the use of solar energy. Well, that's a, that's a heartening thing to hear. Since you since you mentioned a multiplanetary mission, and I think it's relevant to this topic before we move on to the next area, I'd like to ask you, uh, I asked J.F. Garapé when he was on our show a while back, and he had some interesting ideas. What do you think about um, uh, our just the ponderance, the ponderous distance between us and the nearest possibly habitable star? And what does that mean for the clock of the human species? How do we overcome the light speed barrier or find a way to travel that doesn't involve strapping a big engine on the ass of a, of, of a space? Because you, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know as well as I do, there's only so fast 
a conventional engine can push a spacecraft, well, my, right? Well, my colleagues in the space community want nuclear energy. They actually want to explode fusion bombs, hydrogen bombs. Behind uh, the, 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 the spacecraft to push it you forward? You've got it. You've got Jesus it. I Christ. Don't, I don't regard that as practical, but these are very practical men, and we're coming up with these ideas. The fact is that, as TJ said when he was talking about our, our uh, inability to keep up with technological developments, in fact, we do keep up with technological developments. And the fact is that the technology of today, with our smart sound phones and our tablets, would have been inconceivable to a person in the 1950s, 1960s, or 1970s. Absolutely inconceivable. So yeah, we but have you know, no you also lot- have you also have ISIS using social media to you know spread propaganda and videos of them beheading people Absolutely. and stuff like that. Right, that's you know, true. It's not but like there's not, a, there's not a there's not there's not a dark side to this. I mean, there is. Well, let me go. Let me go back to what I was saying <laughs> oh, okay. to Paul, and that is that in the same way that uh, our smartphone, tablet technology, our laptop technology would have been inconceivable in 1960. Um, there are inconceivable technologies right around the corner, and when I it mean, comes I don't know. To- I don't. I don't mean to be pedantic, and maybe it is. Yeah. I don't think it was inconceivable in the '60s because uh, Star Trek was uh, portraying tablets and laptop computers <laughs> and miniature communication, mass communication devices, and the internet. These all all these things were kind of. You know, um, in the sci-fi zeitgeist, right, right, right. So the people were obviously thinking in that way at the time. At least some people, even if they were sci-fi writers, right? Well, there's there's something in my work. It's in my book, The Genius of the Beast: A Radical Revision of Capitalism, called the Infrastructure of Fantasy. And the fact is that if you want to know where our space program came from, once upon a time, a part-time stockbroker in Paris wanted to be one of France's great authors. And he came up with a really ridiculous idea. It was at the end of the American Civil War, which had made news all over the world. And he imagined that a bunch of Civil War vets were sitting around and decided to adapt a giant cannon from the Civil War called a Columbiad um, to build it so that it could launch a coach, a carriage, the kind of thing that horses dragged around. (laughs) And, you know, using a whole lot of gunpowder and launch it around the moon. That was from Earth to the moon. If you had been his mother, his father, or his wife, you would have said, get serious, Jules. Yeah, you're crazy. You're crazy, yeah, Jules. exactly. Well, then, right. then in the early 20th century, two guys, one in Russia, one in China, uh, I mean, one in Germany, sorry, um, started dreaming of how in the world to pull off what was in Jules Verne's book because they grew up hooked on Jules Verne. The stuff you get hooked on as a child determines some of your aspirations for the rest of your life. Absolutely. So they started to, they started to figure out how to use rockets to achieve Jules Verne's dreams. Then another generation of kids grew up on both Jules Verne and the guy in Russia and the guy in Germany and started building rockets obsessively, and yep. then one of them got a break. Um, there was a All new, right, so hold, there was, hold on. I want to move on to the next uh, the next subject okay. here. Sorry. We got, to, we got to the moon eventually. Well, that was infrastructure based on, fantasy. Based on a dream. Infrastructure sure. fantasy. I think we get it. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I want to ask you guys, this is maybe kind of a diversion, but we're going to get back to some of this stuff a little later. Um, I think, Howard, you supported Hillary, right? Yes. So Hillary, none of us on this uh, podcast supported Hillary. Um, I think we'll give this one to you first. Explain to me, Howard, why uh, Hillary Clinton was a good candidate, uh, or I don't know if you think she was good or just the best one that was available or what, but... She was the only one that was available once the primaries were over. Just defend to me, Hillary Clinton. 
I thought that Versus Hillary was what she portrayed herself to be in her convention, which was one of the greatest works of art of its kind that I had ever seen. Remember, I was covering the, the elections. Um, for Coast to Coast, the radio show that I do, the one with 500 stations. So I had to watch these conventions from beginning to end. And Hillary portrayed herself as an idealistic young girl who was determined to do things on behalf of her fellow human beings that gave them new powers, that lifted them, that found them in positions of difficulty and lifted them out of those difficulties. I think that's the essence and the core of Hillary Clinton, no matter what else has happened. But something else happened around 1992. A guy named Richard Mellon Scafe started putting in $2.5 million initially to a kill the Clintons at any cost, at least kill their reputation at any cost fund. And some people allege that $500 million has been spent on that propaganda effort since then. So the Clintons have been besmirched um, by a campaign that does not necessarily bear any relationship to reality. But remember, I'm a lifelong Democrat, and the way that we imprint on infrastructures of fantasy when we're kids, the same way we imprint on From Earth to the Moon when we're children, uh, the way Werner von Braun, the father of our space program, imprinted on it, I imprinted on the Democratic Party. So I'm going to give you the Democratic point of view because I can't help it. <laughs> Fair enough. Paul? Um, How do you feel about Hillary? Uh, you know, the thing that bothered me, I think it was best encapsulated when that private speech was released, where she talked about her public per position. Wall, the Wall Street. Uh, yeah, speech, the yeah. Wall Street leak, uh, the email leaks that led to these, um, you know, speech transcripts being released, where she espoused that she as a politician has a public and private position. And she talked at length about the difficulties in managing uh, the horrible dichotomy of pretending to be one thing to the American people and then glad-handing corporations uh, behind those people's fucking backs. Once a politician has said that openly and honestly and nakedly, I can never support that person. I, because they've just told me that they are what everyone else knew they were. A back-dealing scumbag of a politician that is willing to sell the American people up the fucking river for a buffalo nickel. I don't want that in the White House anymore, Howard. And Hillary Clinton, everything that she does seems like she's got a finger up in the wind. Which way is the political wind blowing? Which way is the social wind blowing? I'm against gay marriage. Oh, 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 oh. Gay people are popular now. I'm for gay marriage. And I'm not against people changing their minds. Hillary seems to be a serial mind changer and a person who has admitted publicly that or not publicly privately and we just have the benefit of being able to see that private conversation that she doesn't believe a fucking thing that she says she's about making well, I money. don't think that's what she said I think that uh, first of all if you had an equal amount of um, Donald Trump private emails um, and pri Donald Trump campaign private emails released I would have been in favor of it you know, I want the maximum amount of information to keep the American people informed because an informed populace is the base of a democracy, period. Making all this stuff secret when uh, Donald Trump says that people are doing things illegally when they're leaking information about him, but he doesn't complain about 40,000 emails being leaked from the Democratic side as long as it doesn't hit him. That's crazy. Uh, every leak is valuable. Every leak is valuable to an informed populace. And we have had no leaks on Trump. And if we had had leaks on Trump, they would have uh, outraged us, especially if there was an entire industry dedicated to blowing things out of proportion. Remember, there's been an anti-Clinton industry since 1992. 
and it's been funded with great amounts of money. Um, now remember, I did. I'm from the sciences. I got into microbiology and theoretical physics at the age of ten. Science is my base, but I spent 20 years deliberately doing field work in mass culture, and I can tell you that if the anti-Clinton camp had approached a PR firm like the one that I ran in the music industry and offered to give us three times our normal uh, fee so we could really concentrate on, dis uh, on de uh, destroying somebody, I personally wouldn't have done that. But my competitors would have jumped in with great glee. And if you are financed for 15 to 20 years to not only repeat a message but refine it, um, you can put a message across to the American public, no matter how false it is, and make it seem like a reality. The statements that Hillary made, to me, sounded like what you and I would say if we were politicians. There are certain positions that I espouse in my heart, but the American public is not ready for them yet. So I have to keep quiet about them and talk about the things that I believe in that they believe in. I don't um, think that that was the subject matter, though. I read the speech surrounding this, and she was speaking yeah. to to banking industry people. So right. really, she was telling those people that, like, in public, I'm going to harangue the banks and say, we need to rein in well, these banks, dude, but privately, I'm going to suck your dicks, and I'm going to... It's, it's, it's horrible. But it was the, it was the Democrats. It, it was a, hang on. It was the Democrats... Oh, who erected structures of legislation to contain the banks, um, to keep them from having another great crash, um, like the great crash of 2008. It's the Republicans, it's Donald Trump, who's flushing all of those regulations down the tubes. Then why it's are those Republicans institutions are sucking dick with the banks? Why are, why are those institutions donating so heavily to Democrats then? Why why is the money spread around to Democrats too? They 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 don't like the banks. They don't like the way that the banks are treating the American people and they want to provide structure, but they're perfectly happy to take a check from fucking Goldman Sachs for a private speaking engagement where they talk about how they tell the public one thing and the bankers something else. Well, the remarkable thing that came out of the Clinton leaks, and you're going to hate it when I say this, is the fact that this vast left or right-wing conspiracy that Hillary talks about was not able to find any way in which the money that she and Bill Clinton took for his foundation actually influenced decisions. Apparently, decisions were not influenced. Remember, government regulation of the banks came under the Democrats, and Hillary has been a prominent Democrat until just the last, until her recent defeat. Um, this is the first time she's been out of the public eye and out of the administrative structure um, in 30 years or something like that. So the only party that is reigning in the banks is the Democratic Party. Somehow, the, with this vast right-wing machine, hire enough PR people, and you can convince them of anything if they're willing to be dishonest. I was never willing to be dishonest. Um, you can convince people that it's, somehow it's the Republicans who are regulating the banks and the democrats are letting the banks get whatever they want you can erect a george soros myth i mean in any community there are going to be both republicans and democrats and people are going to stay true to their principles and their principles are often more important to many people than the money that they make See, i'm, I'm just kind of tired of dividing humanity by republican and democrat i think it's been uh, a very useful really think, proposition I, you know once upon a time approximately 550 million years ago nature came up with this whacked out strategy when she made a species she made them in what are called two different phenotypes two different body types and those two different body types radically different always struggling against each other and competing and always being forced to cooperate turned out to be the most remarkable um 
team scrusher that nature ever created, and it was called male and female. Well, I think um, nature did a better a better job than we've done because I don't see a beautiful uh, symbiotic structure when I look at politics here in America. I see dog <laughs> shit fighting with dog shit over dog shit. I see people passing uh, money up the up the ladder. I see people serving a couple of terms in Congress and then leaving and immediately being hired to lobby the body that they worked in by an international company or a domestic company that may not have the best interests of, of the, the people. And they're allowed to use those contacts that they made serving the people to then lobby against the people. And that's legal here. This is not beautiful, Howard. There's nothing no, beautiful about that. this system. It's dog shit. I'm against that, too. But we have the ability to spot these problems. We have the ability to solve these problems. First of all... Do we um, know? I don't really know about the... the well, do we have Obama, the ability to solve them? Yeah. Barack Obama ran on getting rid of the lobbyists. Did he get rid of the lobbyists? Nope. No. Um, and uh, Donald Trump ran on getting rid of the lobbyists. Has he gotten rid of the lobbyists? Not, not yet. yet. Obviously not. Not yet. Yeah. So, <laughs> not going so to. there is there is a deep structure to the state. Um, but isn't that kind of is, doesn't that isn't that kind of the point, Howard? It's like you get people from both sides saying they're going to do something, and when they're in power, none of them do it. So you have well, both parties like get rid of the lobbyists, drain the swamp, and then the the swamp stays the same. Like you know, you're just shuffling deck chairs in the Titanic at some point, aren't you? And that's what the and that's what the Democrats have been doing. Look, Howard, I would love to be I would love to come back into the Democratic Party. I was raised as a Union Democrat. My parents wow. are very staunch blue Democrats. My dad was a Union president, uh, local number four fifty one, glass molders, pottery, plastics, allied workers. He was a Union president for a number of years. I'm a I'm a staunch Democrat. I was my whole life. I walked away from it when I saw the Democrats with their finger in the same fucking corporate pie as their Republican colleagues. I saw them being adversarial in public and being buddy buddy in private. And and they all look. They are they're all doing this. They're all sucking at the same teat howard and at some point we got to call a spade a spade they're not on our team they're pretending to be they're using people like you and me that have genuine liberal proclivities and they're telling us we're going to do this and we're going to do this and then behind the scenes they're fattening their fucking wallets man <laughs> Paul. well the mere the mere existence of your rhetoric is a testament to two things um number one um in other political systems Disagreements of this kind, like between Republicans and Democrats, would be settled with weapons. And a lot of people would be killed. Um, that doesn't happen, and it hasn't happened since the Civil War. It did happen in the Civil War. The Civil War is the most destructive war in the history of humanity up to that point. Between 600 and 700,000 people died over a political disagreement. Um, we don't do that anymore. But through rhetoric, like the impassioned rhetoric that you just gave, through rhetoric, we are able to outline problems. And one of the tricks to infrastructure of fantasy is that it's multi-generational. Raise a complaint loud enough, plant it deeply enough in the public mind, and gradually the public mind, over the course of several generations, will go from rhetoric to reality. These problems, if you and I devote ourselves to articulating problems with all our heart and soul and doing something about those problems, we will die frustrated because we will feel we have done very little. <clears throat> but believe me, we will build a platform on which our children's children will stand. Right. I feel like that's a good segue into the next uh, question I want to ask. And this okay, kind of gets back to the... Minute, 
three minute question. Yeah, this yes. is three minutes each. Who's so going first keeper, this time? I'm gonna DJ. get. I'm gonna give it to uh, to you uh, first, Paul. Okay. Because uh, I think Howard led the last one. Sure. Okay. So three minutes on the clock right now. Right. Um. This is uh, who's this going to? This is going to Paul. Paul. Yes. What is the main thing, Paul, that humanity must change? If they want to ensure a brighter future, you can provide some auxiliary things too. But what's the main thrust of what this species, in your mind, needs to do to safeguard an actual future for itself? Sure, that's a pretty easy one for me. I think that the hurdle that we have to get over is we have to we tribalism. Basically, we have to stop thinking of each other as Jew and Gentile, as black and white, as Muslim and Christian as uh, British and American, we need to stop all the division and start looking at ourselves for what we are, which is a very vulnerable, naked, ape-like species. Naked ape-like? Yeah, naked ape-like. That, that, that has this big, beautiful brain and this propensity to make such beautiful things happen in the world, but is currently not moving in the direction that it needs to be, I think, due to these divisions that we put up. We need to start looking at ourselves as a tiny, vulnerable little species that's in it together on a, on a world in a vast ocean of darkness that we don't know what else is out there, but we've got to be together if we're ever going to survive beyond what we have here. And that, I think, is the biggest thing that we've got to come to as a species. We've got to get over this globalism phobia, this idea that eliminating borders and national differences and religious differences is somehow wrong. We need to start looking at it for what it is. It's a boon. We work better together as a species. Evolution proves that. So why are we supporting this division still? I yield back the balance of my time. Okay, and I just want to say I agree with absolutely everything you said. If we get away from these primitive nationalisms and move toward globalism, it's the best, one of the best things that we can possibly do. But we have to move to a competitive globalism. That means the, AF, the, the National Football League, um, a bunch of guys confront each other in stadiums all over the country every weekend, and they don't kill each other. They're competing with each other. They're giving each other body blows, but they're not killing each other. Globalism has to allow for things like space races and technology races and commercialization uh, races without death, without war. Beyond that, what's going to change humanity the most and always has is technology, leaps in technology. We have to empower kids to take their dreams and make them into realities. Right now, a new generation is growing up. Kids who at the age of 18 months old are raised with tablets and with cell phones. And those kids are capable of navigating the landscape that's implicit in the world of the iPad um, or the Kindle or, or the iPhone in ways that are absolutely astonishing and that make their parents' jaws drop. What, what we have to enable those kids to make new realities when they grow up. They have, entrepreneurship has to be a major part of what we do all over the planet, including in the Middle East. Because the Middle East right now is stuck with a warrior culture and has destroyed its entrepreneurial culture. It's destroyed the ability to take dreams and make them into new realities. Yeah, uh, I would like to actually have a, uh, both of you guys expound on that. Because when I was listening to both of you talk, the one word that rang in my mind... Globalism? Uh, no, the one oh. word that rang, rang in my mind as like an, a, a fucking obstacle to all of that was Islam. 
Hmm. Also, we're taking a poll on who you agree with more. Sure. Um, the link is in the description, and we Good have old it there. Polls, man. Yeah. Polls. So anyone oh, wow, it's interactive? Going, it's, it's live up there on the screen. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Interactive. Dope. Anyone can take a stab at this. Uh, I don't care. Who okay. Well, you know, I got a book called The Muhammad Code: How a Desert Prophet Brought You ISIS, Al Qaeda, and Boko Haram, or How Muhammad Invented Jihad. And go to Amazon. You can get it. Um, amazing things have been said about it, and it's going to show you a side of Islam that nobody wants you to see. And that is the dark side of Islam. That's the mind of the guy in London um, yesterday who killed four people and was killed sure. himself. There are Absolutely. two sides to Islam. One is the dark side, and the other is the bright side. The dark side comes from Mohammed's ten or eight years in a town called Medina <laughs> when when he uh, commanded 65 military campaigns, he personally led 27 of them, and the man loved beheadings. Absolutely loved beheadings, and he loved genocide. He loved the annihilation of all of the men of a village. Why all just all the men? Because all the women were divvied up as sex slaves, period. Sure. What you see with ISIS and its sex slaves, that all comes directly from Muhammad. But that is not the only face of Muhammad, and there are a bunch of people in the Muslim community who are bucking for the kind of reformation in Islam that Christianity had in 1517 when Martin Luther went to the doors of the Church of Wittenberg and nailed up his 95 theses and changed Christianity forever. Well, they I hope I, I hope that they do it. I, I I'm not I'm not as um, rosy as you are on the uh, you know the blood that Christianity still has on its hands. Uh, I'm old enough to remember George W. Bush, and I'm sh I'm sure you know not to make any in insinuations about your age, Howard, but I'm sure you remember uh, George W. Bush as well, invoking the name of Jesus Christ, uh, telling him that God uh, had blessed and, and, and in fact informed him on his plan to invade Iraq, which, as you know, led to the deaths of at least 500,000 people. I mean, it's probably upwards of that. Um, innocent uh, civilians, and that was done justified. And, and do you remember the climate in this country at that time? Oh yes, Howard. very well. I was doing very daily pro Christian, radio reports. very Jesus, very God is going to fucking very holy war. Right. I don't think that Christian Christianity has developed as far as people think it has. I think it's just a lot more mainstream now because we've allowed it to encroach on our politics for so long. That it's just normal for a president of a country to say, well, I'm going to invade this country based partially on the advice of God. Well, remember that 75,000 Americans were killed in the Vietnam War. Let's go back to World War II or World War I. On the Battle of the Somme, um, over 200,000 men sometimes were killed in a single day. The number of men who died in the Vietnam War was only, the number of Americans, was only 7,500 people that's a radical difference that's a radical increase i mean it's awful to say it about a war and you're right about all of those civilian deaths in iraq but the fact is that the continuing of, by the way because the, 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 yes, because the bullshit because that we started w. there Bush, continues to this day for families just normal people in iraq have to absolutely. live in a place where mortars are falling around them in the street and two competing factions want control of some fucking old dusty ass mosque in the middle of nowhere <laughs> this is fucked howard I agree it's, with it you. It goes so I, far beyond just normal our deaths. I don't you know what American casualties are down but the civilian casualty count just keeps on going, man. Well, I want to read you something if I can find it uh, in my computer here, but it's basically uh, here we go. Um, 
here are some quotes. From, first of all, George W. Bush opened the path for ISIS. Um, when Donald Trump said that Hillary Clinton created ISIS, it was ridiculous because it was created by George W. Bush. Um, okay, we, I'll read you this one. Uh, this is from the Ayatollah Khomeini, who is one of the greatest modern interpreters of Islam. In other words, he was the co-founder or he was the founder of Iran, as we know sure. it today. And his words are considered holy the way that, that Lincoln and Jefferson's words are holy. And he sure. says, he said, Muslims have no alternative to an armed holy war against profane governments. That means any governments that are totally Islamic. Holy war means the conquest of all non-Muslim territories. That means the city you're sitting in right now and the city I'm sitting in right now. Back sure. to the quote. It will be the duty of every able-bodied adult male to volunteer for this war of conquest, the final aim of which is to put Quranic law in power from one end of the earth to the other. All other wars of conquest are unjust and tyrannical and disregard the moral and civilizing principles of Islam. But the so, most important one, listen to this one. This is from Saif al-Din al-Ansari in Al-Qaeda's online magazine Al-Ansar in 2002. The elements of the collapse of Western civilization are proliferating. In spite of all the characteristics of power at their command, these infidel states are no more than a handful of creatures on the speck of dust called planet Earth. Allah told us of the certainty of the annihilation of the infidels by means of the Muslim group, which would, in accordance with the Islamic commandment, torture them. The question now so, on the agenda, <clears throat> wait, the, the last sentence, the sure. question now on the agenda is how is the torture Allah wants done at our hands to be carried out? If guys like <clears throat> this get nuclear weapons, what do you think they're going to do with them? That's what I'm saying. Like, how do we deal with this problem? Because I, I hear, you know, like, I feel like for the most part, the right wing uh, identifies that uh, there's a fucking problem between uh, Islam as a text and violence, but I don't really like any of their solutions. And I feel like a lot of liberals don't even acknowledge that there's a problem. They'd rather just be like, oh, we're so open and tolerant that we're going to accept a barbarous culture. So what do we do? What is a better path forward on this Islam issue? That's what I really am looking for here. Well, I agree with you. I'm particularly disturbed by the fact that I'm a sort of outrider to the left intelligentsia. And the left intelligentsia is freezing out the very people who are trying to reform Islam. Freezing them out. Freezing them out of campuses like Brandeis University or Brown. Um, making it impossible for them to speak on campus. Making it impossible no. for them to get honorary awards. I can't, I can't, I can't agree with that, man. I can't okay. agree with deplatforming uh, some. That's not how you beat Islam, man. You don't beat Islam by taking away their equal right to speak at these campuses and shit. No, no you can't well, do that, man. I'm not talking about taking their equal. That's what they're. That's what the left is doing. It's taking away the right of the reformers to speak. And I want those reformers to be supported in every conceivable way. I want us to stop being conned by the Muslim Brotherhood. They wrote a document in 1992 of its responsibilities in North America and basically said it's our responsibility to get America to take apart its civilization by its own hands so that it can be ruled by Islam. This is so, a statement from the Muslim Brotherhood that backs that the organization that put in place the Muslim Student Association. And when the Muslim Student Association calls for boycotting somebody, my tribe, the liberal intelligentsia on the left, obeys them. Yeah, and that yeah, they is do. a sin. I agree. Uh, you you talk about the Muslim Brotherhood, and as I understand it, um, 
the founder of the Muslim Brotherhood, or one of the founders, was Syed Qutb. Right, who was, a, was one of the uh, the philosophical influencers of the Muslim yes, Brotherhood, and he he was he was influential because he came here to the West in the fifties and saw Americans and how they were living cheek by jowl and how they danced together and how the women it was dressed. dancing in the colleges that really got and, him. And what he saw uh, was what he came to call jahalia, right? Which is this yes. idea of. Islamic separation, like this, I, the, this infatuation with Western culture to the detriment of, uh, and he came to see Islam well, well, at I'll that just time. I'll tell you what Jahalia means, and then, sure. I'll, then I'll let you go. Sure. But Jahalia means the state of ignorance before okay. Islam was given to the world through Muhammad. Sure. And so it means a primal, barbaric, hideous, monstrous, satanic. And he saw he saw an an, uh, an Iran that was rapidly westernizing, where women were starting to wear these ankle dresses and go out in public, and he saw that as he saw himself as an oppositional figure to that what he called jahaliyyah, this wave of ignorance going over the Islamic public, wave of Satanism, right? But he was, as I understand, captured and tortured by. Uh, an Islamic regime, I don't remember which. Probably Egypt. Egypt. And when he was released, he founded the Muslim Brotherhood, and it, and it, it radicalized his thought. And the Muslim Brotherhood has direct ties to Al-Qaeda, correct or no? Uh, yes, they have ties to it. They, they help give birth to Al-Qaeda, even if they don't have direct ties. Uh, they share a common philosophy. Um, so, so how does, how does that work was very important to uh, Osama bin Laden. So how does that play into this idea that Al-Qaeda or ISIS was created by one side or the other? Doesn't it seem like something that arose naturally? Yes, it rose naturally because in Islam, to be holy, pure, and just, you have to follow in Muhammad's footsteps, step by step. And remember, Muhammad commanded mm. 65 military campaigns. He conquered 317 square miles of territory a day. He personally led 27 of them. He put on two suits of armor, a full arrow case, and went out with his swords ready to kill. Ready to kill. Muhammad was a killer. And so if you, were, if you take on the Muhammad the killer as your role model, which you are told to do in Islam, then you're fucked. Then we're fucked. Sure. So in a, in a way, isn't like uh, aren't groups like ISIS kind of like the more traditional? Um, Absolutely, Muslims? they are faithful, loyal, true Islams, and in Al in um, their articles in their magazines, both ISIS and Al Qaeda start every article with quotes from the Hadith, which are the eye holy books, the eyewitness accounts of Muhammad's life and sayings, and from the Quran. So they are truer to Islam than any other tribe on the face of planet Earth. How would you uh? Like when you look at the, this, uh, the um, sorry, I, maybe, maybe we should actually move on. Uh, sure. <laughs> I want to do. Uh, I want to talk about uh, education. Actually, uh, the question on that one is, uh, what's wrong with education? How can it be fixed? Um, I think uh, we could give this one to Howard first. Like, what do you think? I don't know if you. Uh, I never really heard you talk too actually, much about education. Can you guys vamp for one second while I grab something? I don't want to miss anything yeah. Howard says. I'm just okay. going to grab a All drink. Right, so we'll just talk about Islam for a second longer. Okay. Then. <laughs> oh, no, uh, it's it is an awful subject. Um, I want how, my friends. How my do you deal? How do you talk to these liberals, uh, Howard? Who 
uh, just refuse to criticize yeah, like anything, Islam like, on like any anything, level. Like, 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 I've noticed a lot of times when you talk about Islam, too, it's like immediately a lot of liberal people jump to, that's racist, you're being racist, this, this needs to be shut down immediately because, you know, this, this is offensive to even talk about it in this manner. Well, for, for 20 years or more, a group called um, the, uh, oh God, what is it called? It's a, it's a 57 nation member group. It's the something or other of Islamic cooperation. And it is the biggest non-governmental group aside from the United Nations. And it has been putting uh, over $15 million a year into a campaign to get us to use a term called Islamophobia in order to censor ourselves. And guess what? You know, I, I told you that in this document about what the Muslim Brotherhood wanted to do with the United States, they wanted to get us to take apart our own civilization with our own hands. That's a big phrase in Islam. It comes from the Quran. Um, and they're using the idea of Islamophobia to get us to take apart our own civilization with our own hands. We are denying the truth of Islam. We are denying the truth about Islam because we are coined, we're called racists whenever we open our mouths. What am I doing? I have a book out. It's on a very unpopular subject. Every day I wake up knowing I should not have written this book and that what's in this shouldn't be true. And yet I know that it's got 1,930 footnotes and it's got about um, 5,000 different citations. Where are we getting the background noise from? Oh, oh I'm, so, I'm so sorry. I was trying to butt oh. in and I, I apologize oh. for... Uh, yeah, no, I was um, wondering... Do you think that there's a chance for Islam? Do you think that the violence is too ingrained in Islam for it to go through a reformation like Christianity, Judaism, walk away from some of these more violent tendencies? Or do you think it's kind of... I think there's absolutely a chance. I think there's a chance because I have friends who are very dear to me. I love them. I would be deeply hurt if I ever lost them as friends who are Muslims. And none of them believe in this violent shit. None of them. Sure. And uh, I was one of my biggest fans is the trainer of the stars of the national cricket team in Pakistan. And he kept saying, we got to get you to Pakistan. Pakistan has to hear your way of thinking. Well, when he couldn't get the money to send me to Pakistan, and I probably would have been beheaded if I'd gone. But um, <laughs> he, instead, he set up a phone call with me for me with three guys. One of them owns a $4 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, business in Pakistan. One of them, poor baby, only has a $750 million company with offices in 17 countries. And the third was the head of the Pakistan Software Association during the years in which the Pakistani software industry doubled in value. And before the phone call would, could start, one of them, speaking on behalf of all three, said, I just wanted to apologize for the excess and materialism of Dubai. And I said, because sometimes you don't want to know what you think until you hear what you have to say, I said, don't you dare apologize for Dubai. Every single one of you is a modernist, pluralist, tolerant Muslim. Not a single one of you dare speak up about your point of view because you know you could have your throat slit. And, but Dubai speaks for and it speaks to you not through the language that could get it that could get it killed, but through another language. That is the language of architecture. So <clears throat> don't dare criticize Dubai. Dubai is saying to the world, "Fuck you." I can be as modernist, pluralist, and globalist as anybody else, and it's in the expression of spirit in Dubai. 
that you see the right. spirit of my friends in the Muslim community. So, Why? education, Brian. education. We're going to move on to education. Sure. Uh, I want to know um, the education system that we have in America. What should it be doing differently? What's wrong with it? I don't know how uh, well-versed you are on, th- on this topic, Howard, but it seems like you have at least three minutes worth of uh, talking points to say about just about anything. All right. <laughs> so, 1962. Um, I, uh, I was put together with the head of the uh, Graduate School of Education at Rutgers University. A cousin mm-hmm. of mine convinced this guy that even though I hadn't finished my freshman year of college, I should do research with him. So I went to work doing research in his office. This is the head of the entire education department at a prestige university in the United States, Rutgers. And when I found out what his philosophy was, he was, he was really sweet to me, but his philosophy horrified me. And his philosophy was kids don't need facts um, because you can get facts anywhere. Kids need to be taught how to reason. Um, And kids need to be given a positive self-image. Well, hey, man, if you concentrate on giving kids positive (laughs) self-images who haven't earned a positive, the right to a positive self-image by accomplishing something, then you are subverting an entire generation of kids because they will never try hard enough to beat the kids in Korea or Japan or China. Um, And if you are trying to tell them that you can reason without facts, look, the guys who put together the Constitution of the United States put an entire book out about their reasoning. It's called the Federalist Papers. And every single point they made is supported with facts. It's supported with anecdotes from the history of Rome and the history of Greece. Without facts, these guys who founded our country could not have thought their way through to creating a constitution. So don't give me this garbage about reasoning can occur independent of facts. Put in as many facts in those heads as possible. And then we give three minutes to Paul, and then I got something else I want to say. Sure. All right. Thank you. Um, first, uh, before my time started, I want to say thank you f- to the uh, dude that donated 20 euros and said thanks for uh, the it's free It's 20 money. pounds. 20 pounds, sorry. That's that's awesome. Thank you, dude. I appreciate that. Um, outside of that, uh, my, my uh, experience with education comes from kind of a ground-up perspective. Yours started at Rutgers, and mine started at Millview Elementary School in Madera, California. Um, when I was hired as a computer technology guy there, and I worked very closely with teachers and students for about eight years. And uh, outside of teachers and students, nobody uh, was in the classroom more than I was. Uh, That includes principals. I saw teachers teaching in the classroom, and I saw students learning in the classroom in a very intimate way uh, for a number of years. And I watched everything that I saw. And what I saw... Uh, quite frankly, seemed more like um, some kind of uh, uh, education camp. Some kind of uh, awful, dystopian fucking nightmare where these children are filed in silent lines into the uh, cafeteria after sitting all day uh, being taught to this test that they have to take. Uh, being crammed full of scripted knowledge from their teachers who aren't allowed to deviate anymore. And they're made to walk silently into this uh, uh, place and eat silently. If they talk above a murmur, if they're children, somebody with a bullhorn tells them, now, nope, you've lost your privilege to speak. Eat in silence. That's appalling. Now listen to me. This is common practice right now. Children... At the end of recess, 
in the in the in the school district that I worked in, Howard, children at the end of recess, somebody with a bullhorn screams, "Freeze!" This is appalling. This is prison. And the children all have to stop, and then they go line up, and the kids line up. Howard, this is not right. No, it's we're appalling. fucking it. We are fucking it, man. We're fucking it real bad, Howard. It's really bad. From my perspective as a layperson, I'm not a college graduate, man. I'm a three-time college dropout, but I worked there, and it's not right. It's horrible, and I agree with you totally. (coughs) The deal is that there's a new generation of kids coming along. They're absolutely astonishing. Um, Again, we go back to the 18 (laughs) months old with a tablet in their hands and with with a cell phone who can navigate a landscape and virtual reality that you and I don't even know exists in those phones, in those devices. I met a parent whose kid started with a cell phone at the age of probably 12 months. And then when he was about two years old, he developed a fascination with submarines. By the time he went to school at the age of five for the first time, formal school, he was an undergraduate level expert in submarines. Why? Google plus curiosity equals an incredible amount of information. And fortunately, he met another kid who had been obsessed with another topic and who was an undergraduate-level expert in the other top. These are five-year-olds in first grade. John Dewey, the educational philosopher. Um, I had the good fortune to be sent by my parents to a private school that carried the Dewey in philosophy. It had been established by one of John Dewey's acolytes. Um, And John Dewey's theory, philosophy of education, is based on a child is bursting with natural curiosity. Do everything in your power to enable that curiosity. So these kids I'm talking about, who at the age of five had the equivalent of a college education in the subject that fascinated them, these kids are models. And you cannot regiment them, discipline them, imprison them. You have to give them as much freedom as possible. I put favor a kind of open classroom where groups of three or four kids sit around little tables and all yeah. work on projects together. Well, right now, just- right now, Howard, it's 40 to 1. In California schools, 40 children to one teacher crammed into a classroom at desks being read, read scripted content from teachers that are no longer allowed to employ any kind of creativity in their work. That's the truth of education well, right now. Well, that's appalling. But, and I, I have a cousin who <clears throat> wanted to start a school in Harlem. And I said, you know, you've done magazine editing, you have founded magazines, you've worked for Children's Television Workshop, you have no background in education, how could you possibly do that? The kids in Harlem are the most uneducable kids in the world. She founded a school, it's called the Harlem Village School. Her kids have an extraordinary graduation rate from high school, they have an extraordinary acceptance rate in colleges, and they have an extraordinary completion rate. (laughs) You know, I, I... I've been. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Howard. I've yeah. been glancing over at our chat as we're talking here, and a lot of people are saying, "You know, calm down, Paul." This is a. No, you know, I, I, I care. I, I care. No, I care. Look, I, I worked in this environment for a long time, and when I saw it was happening, and I saw how deep it went, I, I, I care very much because for me, we're handing the torch to these children. And now, I was given a decent education at these schools. One of the reasons I'm so connected to this is because I worked at the schools that I was educated at. I attended Melville Elementary School from the time I was a kindergartner through sixth grade. And I worked there for almost eight years. And I saw 
the type of things that were done to kids there, and it was completely different. I was given an opportunity to at least develop a brain that could think about things, and children are not being given that now. Not, not there and not in the bigger cities and not in the wider uh, American you know, uh, educational sphere. It's not happening. And if we don't stop this, this generation of kids right now, Howard, the ones that I got to watch go from kindergartners to eighth graders while I worked there, if we're passing the torch to them based on the education that they got, and a lot of these kids we are because they're not getting it from home. <laughs> if we're passing the torch to these children, I hate to say this, Howard, to an optimist, but we are fucked. I knew he was going to say yet, that. Here I, am looking at this, here I am looking at a wonder generation. Um, tonight, before I came back home so that we could set up for this event, um, I met at the Cocoa Bar, the place where I work these days. Uh, I met a guy I know who I originally met when he was selling poetry on the streets. He was set up with a card table and a an old-fashioned typewriter with a gorgeously art-directed sign. And for $5, he would write a poem for you. Um, and he's, he's black. He, his wife is white. They have two kids. Their three-year-old is doing what I told you about, um, is an absolute whiz with laptops and tablets, um, uh, well, especially tablets and, and cell phones. Their eight-year-old is in a, a robot team that was New York's first robot team to win a regional championship show, so it goes on to a national uh, tournament of some kind in St. Louis. These are wonder kids. So there are wonder kids out there. My, when I asked my cousin Debbie, Debbie Cook-Penny, who's the founder of the Harlem Village Schools, she now has two schools, what was the secret to her uh, uh, pulling off everything that she pulled off? These incredible, I mean, she takes in, she takes in kids at random, Paul. She doesn't screen kids in harlem so she only takes the bright ones she takes the bright ones the dumb ones anybody who wins her lottery and yet they have these phenomenal rates of college graduation and she said her secret was let the teachers have their heads let the teach like but bright people who want to be teachers do what feels best <clears throat> well can i tell so, you what what can i tell you what the practice is yeah the practice is is that old bellicose teachers who hate their jobs and are just wanting to uh, swing on the pension ladder are protected by the teachers unions and kept from being fired. They're shuffled around, and I hate to make the comparison, but I think it bears mentioning, almost like pedophile priests in <laughs> in the uh, Catholic Church. Well, not they the are. I know, not, I know, I know it's not the same, but listen to me. Listen to me. Yeah. This is why I make the comparison. When a bad apple teacher is in a failing, dirty classroom where the kids are not being taken care of, that teacher should be fired. I and that teacher, that, that teacher is currently not fired. That teacher has moved to another school. And it, that teacher does it over and over again. There are teachers working in the school district that I work in who are just profoundly don't care about their jobs. At least maybe they're not there anymore. I, I, I did quit you know, several years ago. But for the entire eight years I was there, there were teachers that just didn't want to be doing what they were doing. And there were all of these bright-eyed, idealistic college graduate um, educators that are relegated to uh, temporary sub-work and then end up taking jobs in other fields because their entry point into these classrooms is blocked by people that should never be sitting in front of a, a child to teach them a thing. So how would you reorganize the system? 
Uh, first of all, we've got to reorganize um, how people can be fired from these schools, how teachers can be fired. Because I, I'm, I'm a union person. You heard me say what my dad worked, what my dad was the president of earlier. But the teachers' unions are stepping in to protect teachers. We're talking about children here. We're not talking about making a widget somewhere in Saskatoon. We're talking about children. So if there's a bad teacher, she should not be moved to be bad elsewhere. And that is what these teachers unions facilitate. Well, I agree with you. Uh, When my wife was a teacher, my first wife was a teacher in the 1960s. Um, The worst teachers um, had been shuffled to the worst schools. And because the worst teachers couldn't handle the kids in the worst schools, I mean, the, the kids in the worst schools were a real problem. The school my wife in, uh, one, my wife was in, one one student uh, knifed the principal. So <laughs> these can Sorry. be dangerous places to work, and it was very, it was almost impossible to keep the kids seated. Um, they were busy. They they were tearing the pages out of their textbooks and crumpling them into basketballs. You see, the, this is a failure. The, this is a failure of administration, though. I've, I've, all the way down the line, from the principal. Well, all, obviously, if, if, if there's a school that's being run in that way, see, children don't have this natural proclivity to be assholes. When they are engaged, yeah, they no, 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 they really don't. In school, when they're maybe some, maybe some do. Maybe you did, TJ. No. I was turned into an asshole. But children, by what when they the other kids when they are engaged properly in education, children like to learn. Mm-hmm. They like the well, structure of learning. Well, if you both of you have a point, Paul. You're absolutely right. The kids love to learn. Um, if you turn the learning into a game, they'll stick with it for forever. They'll do it until midnight or one a.m. Their parents will have a hard time shutting them down for sleep. And TJ is right. Kids are assholes. Um, yeah, kids they are. are monsters. <laughs> um, Kids will do vicious things, really vicious things to each other. So you have to keep the kids from ganging, from yeah. together. It's almost like, you know, some little asshole kid one time wrote 311 on the side of their parents' house and blamed it on their younger brother. <laughs> uh, Whatever. TJ, you fucker. Thanks, Whatever. TJ. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, all right, so uh, globalism. No, I don't shit. know. I don't know where. What, uh, where do you stand on uh, on the on globalism? Uh, you sounded kind of like you were supportive of it earlier, Howard. So you guys oh, just Paul agree on I, this? Paul and I love globalism. Um, right. As Paul I, said, I, I kind of have a a, quali- a a clarifying question for Howard okay. on globalism. Go ahead. That'd be interesting. Because he said, because he said, um, uh, what was it? Competitive globalism. Yes. Isn't that just kind of a, a like a, another word for nationalism? Wouldn't that create these nation states that compete against one another and have well, right the same? Remember, remember yeah, the national. Howard, Remember the National Football League. Um, you have cities competing against each other, and nobody kills each other. But the fact that they're competing each other in an event not only engages their passions, but gets them to excel in something. Yeah, uh, you know what? It, well, it gets them to excel in beating the shit you know out what? of each other. I think it would be interesting for both of you to share your globalist visions with one another. Sure. Because, because Paul has Paul's vision, as, as he's told me, has to do with... A, a single, almost like emperor of the world. Yeah. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, All right. So we're gonna let both of you just let's. The, why don't you we do the three three minute timer and, here? And and to- uh, and and no capitalism either, right, Paul? Like, Paul, no. I want Paul oh, to okay. lay out his globalist okay. vision, and I want uh, Howard to lay out his globalist vision, and we'll compare afterwards. Okay. So I mean, Paul, we're gonna great. let you. 
We're going to let you start it off. Paul, tell us your, your globalist, utopian society. Sure. Uh, in, in the far future, and this is like we're talking utopia, the best case scenario, I, first, I see mankind overseen by some kind of governing AI, an AI that uh, is able to take into account our um, propensity for emotion, to make decisions based on that when it's relevant, but also to make the ultimately best and logical decision when it comes to settling disputes amongst people or ideas that we have, should we do it, should we not do it, we would take it to this AI. We would have this central governing AI that would provide for us a post-scarcity uh, planet where people would no longer have to work their entire lives if they didn't choose to, to put a roof over their head and food and bread in their mouths. You know, hey, you come and exchange this amount of your life for this much paper, and then you take this paper to the store and we give you this much bread, and you come back and you give us more life, and we give you more bread. I want to break that cycle. I want a post-scarcity society where people are freed to pursue things that advance either artistic Interests, whatever, whatever it is that advances the interests of humanity. People are freed to pursue what they are best at. And for some people, they're going to choose to lay around and do fucking nothing. And I'm okay with that. As long as it means that the people that don't want to do fucking nothing are free creatively to collaborate with one another. Free of these national borders and stupid restrictions. Free of monetary concerns. That's what I see in a far future, like, globalist society. I don't want a modern capitalist economy. I don't really want an economy at all. If there's any economy in my far future society, it's an economy of ideas. Like, Paul, you did mention, like, the elimination of culture and and uh, a uniformed language sure. and that uh, sort of thing. I think that culture will naturally sort of shift and meld together okay. in, in this type of society. I don't want to forcibly stop people from praying but I do think that if you give them something like this governing AI, they won't. Future generations won't see the need to look at these Bronze Age fairy tales anymore, and they'll have something that they can actually believe in. When they pray to the AI, when they go to the AI and say, "Hey AI, I want to build this thing," the AI goes, "Here are the materials," and that's. Well, it. I think it's a mag I think it's a magnificent vision. The uh, if there could be a compassionate AI that is capable of, uh, you know, what does a government do? Humans, as TJ was saying when he talked about kids being monstrous, humans are disputatious. Humans get into disagreements all the time. Why do they have rulers? In part, to settle the disputes in between them. There was a study of the Kung San um, in uh, the Kalahari Desert, who are about the most primitive culture that's still exi in existence today. And the first results from the anthropologist studying the Kung San said, oh my God, you'd be amazed. In Western culture, we work eight to nine hours a day, um, five days a week. In Kung San culture, they are able to get everything they need, all their food, all their clothing, all their shelter, in only four hours a day. So our culture is obviously inferior to their culture. That was the first wave of reports. Then came a second wave of reports after more experience with the Kung San. It turned out that, yes, they got their food, their shelter, and their clothing together, in four hours a day, but then they spent at least another four hours settling disputes, what we would call lawyering. So they did have an eight-hour day, just like we do, or something beyond that. But a lot of the work was brain work and settling disputes because we are a nasty species, um, because we are bullies toward each other. So I want your economy. I want what you portrayed. But we can't have a post-scarcity economy 
without an economy. Because an economy is what turns out the goods that allow us to dream, that allow us to think. And we can't, um, we can't throw away the discipline of being able to get together with fellow human beings in a structure that has a momentum of its own that is able to turn our ideas into reality. Remember, Werner von Braun, the kid who, one of the kids who grew up on Jules Verne's From Earth to the Moon and on the works of Oberth and Silikovsky, the guy in Russia and the guy in Germany who dreamed about rockets, he was part of a rocket club. And in his youth, he made rockets about the round, as big around as, as your forearm. And that's all he was able to make. And then a, a person took over an existing deep structure in Germany called the government. Ein Reich, he called it. Um, and he wanted to make war. He wanted to conquer England. He wanted, in fact, to punish London for not joining him in his alliance. So he gave Werner von Braun a whole lot of money. And with that whole lot of money, Werner von Braun was able to build the V-2 rocket, the rocket that became the basis for our space program. So you need structures like governments that, are, that bring humans together in productive enterprises. You need to use them for good and not for evil. Hitler All used right, it. You're, how are your time is up. Uh, Paul, do you have anything to say back? Um, you know, it's... it's uh, you, you you said we need to have. What do you, how do you feel about the singularity? That's that's kind of where I go I with it because I think it's this ridiculous. idea that you need <laughs> you think you think that us pursuing a technological singularity is a ridiculous human pursuit. Oh no, I think our pursuing it is something we must do at okay. all costs. But you think um, its existence however, isn't? Its existence is silly. The fact is, we've gone through so many singularities in just the last five thousand years that it's absolutely ridiculous. 9,000 to 10,000 years ago or 11,000 years ago, we invented the city. That changed the nature of human beings dramatically. Um, within the city, we self-invented the subculture. Um, sure. we, we invented privacy when we built the, when we made the first brick, just a brick, a piece of mud, which is a, a substance that can kill you. Putting mm -hmm. it together in a rectangle. Paul, if you'd been the guy who'd come up with that idea and you had come to TJ, TJ would have said you were absolutely crazy. There's no such thing as a rectangle in this <laughs> cosmos. And if you did make a rectangle out of mud, what could you do with it? And your answer would have been, well, if I get six million of them together, I can make a garden apartment complex. And TJ would have said, six million of them? We're a tribe of 150 people. How the fuck do you think we're ever going to make six million of these things? And what makes you think that we can build something you're calling a garden apartment? There's no, never been such a thing on planet Earth. What do so you we think? have gone, we've well, gone I'm, through I'm, these singularities over and over again, and yet we humans deceive ourselves into believing that we have this constant, static human nature. That when we engage with Plato by reading his Republic, we imagine that he's like us. No, he did not have cell phones he did not have laptops sure. he did not have the internet he did not have most of the things we take for granted as a necessary part of our daily lives we've been through so many singularities it's ridiculous and yet that kind of guidance system that keeps us convinced that we're the same humans we were 2500 years ago deceives us i i totally agree with that um but i do think that y what do you think about the profound acceleration in technology me being 36 going on 37 years old now the first computer i ever worked on was a commodore 64 
Oh, good. And now I have a computer that I carry in my pocket that I take for granted that is infinitely more powerful than that ever was. And that 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 was a big, heavy computer, you know. It, it, and that's just in one lifetime, right? If this, if, if one if short it, lifetime, it, one short, exactly, because I, I don't have many more years to go. <laughs> well, well, I just mean like have I just mean it hasn't, yeah, it hasn't thirty-seven been that long, years, you know. So, if we keep our foot on the gas pedal, technologically speaking. We're going to have things in a couple of lifetimes from now that are indistinguishable from magic. Right. So, so uh, Howard, well, what do you think about how that we fat have Paul right is, now dude? is indistinguishable from magic. Uh, All the yeah, technologies on, on that we just cited are indis- indistinguishable from magic. Sure. The existence of, uh, of Google so that a kid can summon all of the world's information on submarines at the age of three and four, that's fucking magic. But that's kids sorcery. don't look at it that way. Kids kids, kids these days, and having worked with kids in technology, it was my job. They look at it as a resource that's always there. They just expect it. You, right. Kids and are not wowed anymore. Work. You, you they, talked they, earlier about how kids are growing up in front of these tablets. Right. They don't give a fuck. They, they're not like, wow, man, cool. They're just like, right. oh, this. Flip, 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 internet, internet, but, everything's but that's at my... The way, that's the way the cycle works. And the genius of the beast, a radical revision of capitalism, it basically says that each generation builds a stair step above the stair step that they were given. They stand on the stair step their parents gave them in order to build the next stair step up. And their children then stand on that stair step. What does that really mean? It means that first things are novelties, and we pursue them with glee, and we're envious of the rich because they're the only ones who seem to have them in the very beginning. But even before then, things start as fantasies. Then they start as rarities. Then, and then they become novelties for the general public. And then they become commodities. And what's a commodity? It's something you take for granted. It's the next stair step up, and you are standing on it. Why? Because you're reaching for the next level of fantasy. You're reaching for the next level of inconceivable but just conceivable reality. And that's that's a multi-generational process. We in the West fail to understand the value of multi-generational processes. I'm not going to... I'm not going to make this a new section, but uh, I kind of wanted to hear your guys' thoughts on uh, on transhumanism, since you're ta- we're talking about technology in the future here. Sure. Like, the idea of uh, if, if they can build a better heart than the one that's already in my body, like, what's to stop me from using that heart, or from replacing limbs, or from <laughs> augmenting my own brain sure. uh, in some way? At- what well, do you can think I about start the technological, on this one? technological augmentation of human beings? Howard, go I ahead. I think it's fantastic. And Me too. I get really pissed off when groups of moralists organize themselves in science because those fucking groups of moralists are trying to put a slipknot around our neck and choke our technologies. There is no value to what they are doing. Look, every technology that's ever invented has had a dark side and a light side. There's an old bloomism. You can use a hammer to, to build a house, or you can use a hammer to kill. Now, in fact, the Spartans outlawed most of the tools for building houses and restricted you to a certain primitive base of tools. Should we be doing the same? No, the Spartans are dead and gone a long time ago. The people who influence us, our culture, were not the Spartans. They were the Athenians who let anything happen. If we want to engineer our own sperm so that we have blue-eyed children, six foot four, I know that's short to you, TJ, but to me, <laughs> it's tall. Um, 
who are magnificent and athletic and have super brains. Hey, if that's the next possibility, oh, God. Howard, eugenics, eugenics, Howard, eugenics, Nazism, eugenics. I'm a eugenicist. What I are mean you? by that is yes, because I believe that you should only have children if you have the resources to bring them up. And that means the financial resources to bring them up, and it means the do spare you, uh, time to pay attention you, to them. And do you the think there should be? Uh, do you think there should be a child tax rather than a tax credit? Oh, absolutely. I think there should be a child prohibition. I think that we should <laughs> have, he goes one step further, dude. Howard and I—this is just going to be Howard and I sucking each other's dicks because I haven't disagreed with a single syllable of this. Yeah, I mean, I want you—if you're a 17 or 16 or 15-year-old girl and you have no capacity to raise a child. I want you to get an abortion right now. Absolutely. Amen. Look, dude, anybody that wants to have a child should be allowed to, given their <coughs> um, willingness to submit themselves to an education program on how to raise a child, to submit themselves to psychological screening and economic screening to see if they have the resources to provide that child with a baseline good life. And if well, they're not willing to do people, that, you don't just to go. You you don't get to just go fuck and drag a consciousness out of the ether into all of this and not take care of it. I we don't need totally. any more of that. And and we are going to be told that we are racist because the uh, because a disproportionate amount of black people um, are are having children without. Well, they're always the going to say it's racist no matter what. Well, well they can say it's uh, racist yeah. all they want. I want black people, white people, Asian people, brown people, and every other fucking racial sub-tribe of the human race to stop doing it. And so remember, I, I spread the, the my couple, hatred equally amongst all of you. If it's hatred, couple, then it's not for blacks. Hold the on. The couple that I was talking to tonight before I came here, remember, is a black man who was selling poetry out on the street um, and his white wife. And both of them are getting into IT right now um and their children are incredible now why are their children incredible in part because those two parents only have two kids and they did not have those kids at the age of 14 or 15 um two parents with two kids who are capable of making a living can love if they have the time if their work gives them time can love those kids that's what's needed whether you're black white latino muslim because in Islam, there's a guy named Ali Mazrui. He's not around. He's not with us anymore. He died a few years ago. But Ali Mazrui was such a highly regarded scholar um, of Islam, of the Islamic world. <clears throat> the PBS gave him the money for an 11-part TV series called The Africans. That's almost unheard of. And Ali Mazrui wrote an article in a population journal that none of us were supposed to see. I mean, how many population journals do you read a day, Paul? I don't oh, read any. I read all yeah. zero. So, yeah. So in this in this article, he said that procreation in Islam is a form of jihad. The more kids, and he pointed out the he pointed to the example of Africa, and he said the original Muslims to go to Africa went as refugees from Mecca. They were under attack in Mecca, and Muhammad told them go to Africa for so you can be safe. Um, well, they were allowed to take four wives each. And actually, the system can be rigged so you can take as many women as you want. And they started marrying and having children at an incredible rate. Today, Ali Mazuri points out, Islam owns half of Africa. And his implication was that through procreational jihad, within a relatively short amount of time, 
Islam would own all of Africa. What does that mean for the kids? How much love and attention are they given? How much None. education are they given? None. So, well, they're educated yeah. how to be Islamic. Sure. I guess. That's right. None, none that's worth anything outside of their strange <clears throat> little enclave of people. They receive or we, nothing. Or we love death more than you love life, is the saying. Yeah. In other words, Wonderful. I, I, the, the greatest thing that I, as a Muslim child, can do is aspire to go into battle killing infidels and dying in the course of killing infidels because that's an express ticket to paradise and to my 72 virgins, which, by the way, are not mythic. They exist. They're, well, I mean, they um, sound like the Klingons. Well, with Africa, it really compounds vast. They have really high birth rates. They have very weak institutions and governments. So it's kind of like you have a very, like a lot of these populations are kind of just listless. They're, they're, there's like famine, there's drought. There's not really much for them to do. I mean, not, not all parts of Africa, obviously, but a, lot, a large portion of it. Well, the, the cell phone over the last uh, roughly 15 years has been transforming parts of Africa. Um, That's true. It's, and Africans have been inventing new technologies for exchanging money. For uh, find, If you're a fisherman out at sea and you've just caught a whole bunch of fish, you can phone the villages on the coast to find out which one has the fewest fish and thus has the highest prices for the catch that you have just caught. And you can steer your ship toward that port. That is it's neat. amazing. I I, I will say, though, that the, the cell phone has been transforming Africa in some uh, less uh, beneficial ways, too, uh, particularly uh, in the extraction of coltan, which is used to make all these devices. Um, you know, it's basically done by slave la slave labor uh, by the indigenous population. You're such a downer, Paul. I know, dude. Well, I'm taking the pest. Uh, col coltan a is, a, coltan is a mineral downer, that is used in the creation of processors. It's not replaceable, and there are huge stockpiles of it under Africa that are subject to extraction, you know, in countries that have absolutely no labor laws. So uh, these countries rely on that labor to All create right. these All devices. Right. All right, Howard. I'm going to let you choose the next topic. you got four options here. We can talk about Israel. We can talk about health care. We can talk about the surveillance state. Or we can talk about alternative energy. Well, why don't we go into Israel? Because that is the most hot-button topic and is going to get the most people mad. And, uh, <laughs> and, 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 I'll be, and I'll be lucky if I get out of here without being hung or drawn and quartered. Okay. But, um, but my position, remember, I'm Jewish. I'm an atheist. Um, and I'm a Zionist. A Zionist. I'm not allowed to say that, right? I mean, isn't that like admitting you're a Nazi? No, it's not like admitting you're a Nazi. The Jewish people have been in the state of Israel or land of Israel, including the West, what is now called the West Bank, illegitimately. It really is called Judea and Samaria. Um, we've been in that territory for 3,200 years. That's three times as long as the French have been in France and the Germans have been in Germany. And yet they claim that they own that land. Three times as long. We, if, if, you are, if you care about imperialism, if you think imperialism is a bad idea, if you think colonialism is a sin uh, and a, a splotch on the escutcheon of humanity, the Jews have been victimized by more imperialists than any other people on the face of planet Earth. First the Syrians, then the Babylonians, then the Romans, then the Muslims. Is that territory Muslim territory? No. We've had a continuous presence in that territory for 3,200 years. They are imperialist, colonialist invaders, and if you think imperialist and colonialist invaders should get the hell out, they should get the hell out. Paul. <clears throat> I have a kind of a different view. Um, I'm an atheist and uh, I'm not a Zionist. I'm not an anythingist, really, other than an atheist. Um, 
maybe a pessimist. Pessimist. Oh, yeah, I would say a pessimist. <laughs> um, but I don't understand why we can't look at the current uh, situation there and find a way for these two people to share this patch of land that, quite frankly, isn't worth much um, in the global scheme of things. Uh, I know it, it, it's worth a lot in terms of religious significance to both sides. And we have to we have to be honest about that, Howard. But it's it's not, it's hold, not on, worth, hold on, hold on. It's not hold worth on. equal amounts to both sides religiously. Sure, I, I agree, they, I agree. The, the major, what <clears throat> Mecca is to Islam, Jerusalem is to the Jews. Sure. Um, are we talking about sharing Mecca? No, Saudi Arabians won't even let Jews into Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah, but see, I, I don't understand why. Look, I understand. There is a rich Jewish tradition in that. I, I know that the Holy of Holies is now called the Dome of the Rock, right? Right. And it is a Which mosque. Which I think is obscene. I think and it's it, absolutely obscene. It's a mosque where uh, purportedly Muhammad, Muhammad uh, ascended to Mounted heaven. Mounted to heaven, right. Okay. So, now... You have to understand how this is how I understand it. The people that are there, the Muslims that are there, whether they have a right globally to be there or not, believe very fervently that this place is holy to them. This is a place where the prophet of their religion, now it may not be Mecca, it may not even be Medina, but it's a place where the prophet and their religion ascended to heaven. I don't understand, and maybe this is just a lack of perspective, why we can't come to an agreement between these two people. That this holy site can be shared between our peoples equally and that we can live amongst each other in a multicultural fashion and respect each other's rights to this religious territory and stop killing each other, stop building walls between each other, stop lobbing uh, grenades from one side and missiles from the other and just live like fucking human beings on this patch of dirt. Well, I, Why can't uh, we do that? I <laughs> Where did that cooperation you, come Paul, from, though? But I, but I once again agree with your vision. I think that's the way the things should be. When the Jordanians um, owned um, half of Jerusalem, um, Jews were not allowed in there at all. Since the Jews have owned that half of Jerusalem, the Muslims have been allowed to go anywhere. In fact, they've been allowed to claim that the foundations of our temple, the only temple that we've ever had on planet Earth, belongs to them. And they have been allowed to march in large demonstrations, chanting, kill the Jews. Can I ask a question, um, Howard? Yeah. Why, do you, why do you, as an atheist, uh, 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 care about a fucking temple? I, well, I, I know. I, can I ask you? Because look, I'm I'm not an atheist, but I was raised uh, as I mean, a Christian. You are an atheist. Are you an atheist? Well, well, yeah, I was raised as a Christian. Is what okay. I meant. I wasn't raised as an atheist, so I did practice Christianity for a number of years into my early twenties. Actually, I would have called myself a Christian. Um, and uh, if somebody tells me that some old church is being bulldozed and turned into a fucking mosque or some shit, you know how much care I have for that as an atheist? None. So why does this temple, for you as an atheist, because you realize the, the significance that the Jewish people that live there and the people, the Jews typically that are, advocate for that, it's, it's a religious significance. It's the Holy of Holies, right? It's the Temple right. on the Mount. And, but to you, you, you understand as an atheist that it's just a patch of fucking dirt that some tribal people built a fucking thing on. You know, why does it have such a stark and grave significance to you? Because uh, this is a tribal planet. You've pointed that out. You're absolutely right. Um, my tribe has been the go-to tribe for scapegoating for 2,200 years. Um, the year I was born, 1943, 
something began called the Holocaust. Um, and Hitler killed six million Jews. And a lot of those Jews said, hey, but I'm married to a Christian woman. You shouldn't be taking me. They were gassed. Other people said, well, I converted to Lutheranism. Sorry, those people were gassed. Other people said, well, only my grandfather, one, one of my four grandparents, was Jewish. Sorry, doesn't matter, you're gassed. So the Germans emphasized how fragile my tribe is and how we can be plugged, no matter how globalist we think we are, we can be plucked out of the middle of a crowd and taken and killed and killed. And every people, every people has the right to defend itself against that kind of horror. Islam is a religion whose anti-Semitism is genocidal and is built into the very religion. On a planet where a religion that has 1.6 billion adherents has as part of its basis the following saying from the Hadith, and the day of judgment shall not come until every street, tree and stone stands up and says there is a Jew behind me. Kill him. That's genocidal. How do we defend ourselves? We have a patch of land the way the French have a patch of land, the Germans have a patch of land, the Irish have a patch of land, the Syrians have a patch of land. Maybe you should just try Wyoming or something. Why not another patch of land? Why not a patch of land? Start a new history. Start a proud new tradition. Oh, hold on. Wasn't uh, wasn't the Garden of Eden uh, in Missouri or something? Yeah, go to that's Missouri. A, that's what the Mormons say. Yeah, yeah. So okay. there you go. Convert well, why, to Mormonism, and go to Missouri. Land, it was it was considered, but the fact is that we humans have these peculiar tendencies to regard certain things as legitimate and other things as illegitimate. And All right, well, we here's, regard- the thing, here's the thing that doesn't make sense to me, though. Like you, you point out that Islam has all this anti-Semitism and stuff, and yet. The place you guys want to settle is like, you know where it's good? Uh, this, this place smack dab in the middle of our enemies who hate us. That will be well, our stronghold. Terrible. But that, I don't that get that, is, Howard. That is I also only- don't get why, why we have to give so much money to Israel for their own defense when they already have a strong military and all this other stuff. Like I'm, I'm tired of I'm tired of uh, the Israel handouts. I really have country. to be concerned as an American at the dollars that go into Israel when I see like look, and I'm not claiming that they're doing it unprovoked. I know that there are people lobbying, but look, because they're one of these one of these people has a one of these people has a first world world military, and one of these people is relying on like Russian old Russian technology and rocks and fucking rockets and shit. There is a for, there's a force difference here that doesn't seem to be really cared much about by people that are apologists for Israel. Well, one of the difficulties is that when you uh, cast the Jews versus the Muslim world, remember the Muslim world has 57 nations, all of them agree uh, that uh, that Israel is the enemy. All of them. 1.8 billion people. Do you know how many Jews there are in the world? Fewer Not than the many. population of one Islamic city, Cairo. One Islamic city in a world that has 57 Islamic nations and approximately 150 major cities of that size. If you pit the Jews against the Muslims, um, the Jews are outnumbered something like 180 to 1. 
Right. 180 so why to be, 1. Why, why live in the Muslim world, though, is my point. Why? Because we're stuck with it. That's all. That's what we got when we came out of Egypt. Why? Why, though? Egypt. Why? Because they could well, all leave. Like, you could just say, all right, take your land. We're all moving somewhere better. Bye. Well, uh, half of the Irish population did that. Uh, they left Ireland, and they came to the United States. But could they claim the United States was Ireland? No. No. But no. they claimed the United States was Irish? No. They just they just made it a little worse, and we gave them St. Patrick's Day, and they're fine. Well, eventually <laughs> they gave us, they've given us a lot of positive stuff. But oh yeah, yeah. Uh, they I'm, turned I'm, out. I, I'm, you know, the Irish people have a lot to be proud. Well, for. they yeah, they not turned, all of them are. They turned they drums. turned me out, so they not can all. be proud. They can be proud of that not if all. nothing else. <laughs> they cranked so out a poll. We don't have we don't have, a, we don't have what human beings regard as a right to any other piece of land because humans measure if you if you are uh, if your parents grandparents going back. 17 generations have lived in France. You have a right to France. Um, All right, Howard. Howard, I have a question for you. Go ahead. And, uh, Paul, you can answer it, too. Sure. Um, this this is this one's just uh, like a, a, a softball for Howard because this is his favorite kind of bullshit. <laughs> what historical event, Howard? And maybe the, maybe it'll be hard for you to choose, but you got you got to choose one. What historical event most fascinates you, and what lesson do you derive from it? Uh, the event that most fascinates me is Adolf Hitler, um, his torchlight parades, and the Holocaust. Um, the torchlight parades fascinate me the most because I am fascinated by personal ecstatic experiences. Experiences that make you feel like you've been taken out of yourself and lifted into something higher than yourself. And how those personal experiences coordinate, how they synchronize, so that they bring a crowd together as a mass, a superorganism that can then be used for good or evil. Hitler used it for evil, but he was a master at rousing these ecstatic feelings of Ein Reich, Ein Volk, Ein Fuhrer. I am a part of one state. I am a part of one government. I am a part of one people, a people that has deep, deep roots in this land. That's what he was telling the Germans. Um, and I am best represented by one leader and one leader only. People watched. It was 10 o'clock at night. People stood on the major streets of Berlin. They were packed so they were so crowded that they, any one of them could lift their feet and still be standing in place because the people around him were packing him in. And then came the soldiers carrying torches, about 12 soldiers across. And the sight of those soldiers marching, goose-stepping in total synchrony with those torches in their hands, lighting the night, made people feel that they were exalted as part of something so much bigger than themselves that it finally gave a meaning to their little, tiny, meaningless, painful lives. That's the experience that fascinates me, because that is artistry in painting, using the forces of history, using personal passions as the forces of history. All right, so Paul... Yeah, what's your favorite historical event, and what lesson do you derive? It's from interesting it? that Howard and I have such similar. Uh, it's not Hitler or anything to do with Germany. Uh, the 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 event that I kind of locked in on more than any other event as was Jim Jones, and the founding of the People's Temple and the subsequent uh, suicide uh, of over what was it? I, it was a a massive amount of people uh, in Jonestown. And uh, for some of the same reasons that Howard mentioned, uh, Jim Jones was a really interesting figure who took Christian ideology and almost used it as bait 
to bring people uh, into his church and use his influence over them to preach a more uh, socialist agenda. He used to preach in front of a, 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 a group of Christians in a place called the People's Temple. You know, you know what this book means? You know, this book has held black people and people of all colors down for a thousand years. And he would fling it across the room and let it hit the ground. And then he would look at everybody quietly and he would say, you want God? I'll be your God. You want a savior? I'll be your savior. And he was able to do that using that Christian ideology to build this wonderful thing. Jonestown as an idea was a wonderful idea. And it went sour because of the rottenness of that one man. All of the people that killed themselves there that day went into that with the best of intentions. They wanted to live free their own way. That's what I. That, that's why I focus on that event. So you guys are both obsessed with uh, with with demagogues. Yeah, I guess we're, so. We're, that we're both manipulate with, people. We're obsessed with the power of a leader to bring a people together as a superorganism, as a structure larger than any of the individuals within it, and to use it to change, to make change. <clears throat> Unfortunately, a change Jim Jones made was the death. Of all yeah. of his followers. Hitler's wasn't too much better. No. I don't think it was any better, actually. It was probably a little worse. Uh, um, <clears throat> so um, I'm going to just probably wrap up uh, this this uh, little segment here. Little segment. It's been about uh, been about an hour and 43 minutes. Wow. I think I, think I want to talk about the health care thing, though, uh, because we recently saw the um, Republicans... Uh, after being pressured to to do a vote by Trump, they they said they said no, we'd rather just not, and they kind of just threw in and gave up and said, you know what, Obamacare, the great villain that we've been trumping away at uh, for uh, 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 the last uh, seven years, trumping away at, you know that great villain that's coming to kill your granny that we've been saying we're going to get rid of and we voted about a million times to get rid of, well, turns out it ain't so bad after all. Death panels. We're okay with it now. That's that's interesting. Um, so what, well, I, what I want to know... Donald Trump. What Donald I want to know, I, I, want, I want you guys to address uh, just the, the resounding imbecilic failure of Trump to do anything on his legislative agenda. Uh, I also want you guys to talk about where healthcare is and where you uh, where you see it going, where you want it to go, and uh, I'll I'll throw it to Howard first because he seems raring. Yeah, I'm raring. I mean, healthcare <laughs> is an extremely important issue. Uh, no, but I don't believe that anybody should be denied, denied healthcare, despite the fact that that sounds very socialistic. Um, I think that we are spending far too much of our gross domestic product on healthcare. How, what does that mean? It means that we're spending more per person than any other country in the world on healthcare. And we're 27th in the world. 26 countries are able to get better health care than we get by spending less money. So there's obviously a potential to make things far more efficient and far more healthy. And with the cell phones we keep talking about and personal apps that can keep track of your weight, that can keep track of your blood pressure, that can put it all on a common chart and help you figure out, handle your own medical condition, um, we're about to unleash the brain power of motivated patients. And that's an incredible brain power. But we need a health system that's not locked in the Middle Ages. And right now, the health system is locked in a guild system. 
that is antique. It's left over from the 1300s, for God's sakes. And we do need competition. If foreign doctors want to move to the United States and practice medicine instead of driving cabs, let them take an exam and practice medicine, for God's sake. So do you, Indians, you, think, you think single pair, Howard, or, or you yes, want to do something different? Yes, absolutely. I was with I was with a right-winger and a left-winger a couple of weeks ago on the radio, and I was astonished. The two of them agreed on something. They agreed on a single-payer health care plan. Awesome. Paul? Paul, do you have anything uh, <clears throat> different than that to say? Um, you know... A lot. I, I tend to talk a lot in anecdotes, Howard. You may have noticed that, and I've been derided for that for a while. But it's just kind of how I was raised. I'm a storyteller first and foremost, and I kind of talk from like experience. And, and and my experience with the healthcare system has been profoundly poor. And um, you know, I've seen uh, members of my family denied care that could have eased their suffering in their final moments. Um, because of a, a, a medic, because of a monetary decision, not because of a, an empathetic humanitarian uh, outpouring. Like in the last moments of a person's life, we should take care of that person, and we 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 can't establish that yet. We're we're not even there yet. See, we, you talk loftily about all these things that are about to happen, and really on the ground, people are dying in horrible, tragic ways, and uh, unnecessarily tragic. And a lot of it has to do with money, capitalism, and greed. And I don't know how we could have a system outside of the competition of capitalism. I'm not a smart enough man to have the answer to that. But I do know that when a person's life is on the line, it should not be a motherfucking business decision whether that person lives or dies. Well, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think it's very important to have a compassionate system. And I'll tell you with an anecdote from my own experience. Um, I was in bed for 15 years with an illness in the beginning nobody could diagnose. And finally, when I got a doctor who would make a house call because I couldn't leave my bedroom, the doctor, most important thing the doctor did for me, had nothing to do with his expertise in chronic fatigue syndrome, which turned out to be my illness. Hang on a second. I've got ah, a cinder in my throat. The most important thing that he did for me was he took a piece of paper, he wrote down an email address and said, this is another one of my patients. She's in Texas. She has the problem you have. You should get in touch with her. For the next three or four years, that other patient and I, who could only communicate, I couldn't talk for five years with this illness. The, the only way I could get out of my apartment was on the internet, on my computer. So she and I met on the computer. And we looked around to find mod treatment modalities, things that would get us out of this goddamn fucking disease. And whenever we found something that seemed hopeful, she would track down the doctor who was responsible for it, and she would get what's called the protocol. What dosage he was giving, in what way. And we would give it to our doctor. And our doctor would sit on it for six months. And six months is forever when you are really sick in bed yes, and want to get better. Um, and, but finally, after six months, he would, re, he would regurgitate it as his own idea. And then he would give it to us. Well, the number of things that we did, the number of things that we put together, the treatment that we put together worked for me. I was in bed for 15 years. This morning, I did seven, 699 push-ups. 
I'm 73 <laughs> fucking years old, and I did 699 push-ups after being confined to a bed for 15 years. What I'm talking about here is once you harness patient power, once you let patients work together on a common problem, you've added a huge amount of brain power to the medical system. If you, sure. if you allow people to interface with their doctors, not through visits solely, but through internet, through email, and an occasional phone call, you bring down the cost of medical care tremendously. Because a patient needs a doctor to say, go this way, not that way. And sometimes the doctor is going to be wrong, and only the patient will know it. My doctor, the one I make house calls to, um, about a year ago said, oh my God, the B12 in your system is at a toxic level. You have to stop it. Well, B12 uh, uh, and uh, uh, one and a half millimeters of B12 per day intramuscularly is a necessary part of what got me well. I stopped doing the B12. I started having all kinds of health problems. I stopped paying attention to my doctor. Um, you need to empower patients. You need to take advantage of them. You need to take advantage of new technologies. Um, capitalism is not a bad thing, but any, remember, a, a, a hammer can be used to kill or a hammer can be used to build a house. Um, All right, so, Howard. Um, How many push-ups could TJ do <laughs> is a good question. Zero. Zero. TJ has a lot Point. more to push up than I do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh, shit. The chat is highly skeptical of your, of your push-up claim, Howard. I, I'm, a, I'm a highly, uh, uh, I'm a tiny little flea compared to TJ. Well, the, but TJ. There's yeah. a film being made about my life. It's being made by Brick TV, which is this prestigious cool. arts organization here in Brooklyn. And they came in at 7.30 in the morning. I wake up at 8 so that they would be here when I wake up at 8 and could film me doing my push-ups. Now, yes. I was fighting all these health problems that came from the doctor's recommendation of, of getting rid of B12. And I was only able to do 300 push-ups that day, half of what I normally do. But at wow. least they are there recorded on whatever they use. That's right. impressive. Well, that's okay. I mean, 300 is still... That, 300 that at is least impressive. shows you're in the ballpark more than you, of doing that, so. 300 more than you. All right, so apparently Howard is saying <laughs> there's footage of him doing 300 push-ups. That's dope. That's so pretty impressive. We, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see if that manifests. Yeah. Uh, Howard, I, I, I have uh, two people here, Paul and, uh, and Ben here, who uh, are big fans of the, uh, the Morton Downey Jr. show. Oh God! Have you seen my appearance on that show? Yeah, yes. apparently when yes. going, apparently when watching through some old episodes, Ben here noticed that you were in uh, an old episode of that. Oh yeah. So yes. uh, they were both hoping you might want to want to talk about that for a second. Just tell us like well, maybe that how that came about and what it was like. That was a, that was a scary episode. Um, it was. I I had started writing my book, The Lucifer Principle. And, uh, and I couldn't get a publisher to take it. I had 43 turndowns over the course of four years. So uh, Patty was, it Agbo, titling, was it titling or content problems? Uh, it was, I don't know what it was. I really don't know. I think it's a terrific book. But, you know, I'm prejudiced. At any rate, um, Patty Agcroft was editing Omni Magazine, and Patty said, why don't I take a chapter from your book and publish it? The chapter was called The Importance of Hugging. And in that chapter, it showed you how gruesomely violent Western culture, English culture in particular, was in 1650. And it showed you how gruesomely violent Islamic culture is now. And it traced it to kids who get hugged when they're small tend, out to, be peace tend to be peaceful. Kids who are raised in a cold, harsh, 
disciplinary environment tend to be cold and harsh. Big surprise, right? Sure. And it pointed out that according to Muslim sociologists, there is coldness and harshness in the Muslim family. It is a built-in to the Muslim family. Um, so when the article came out, the American, uh, the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, through four days of sit-down strikes against me in the lobbies, in the lobby of Omni magazine. And then they had a small misfortune. A plane went down, a Pan Am plane, over Lockerbie, Scotland. And it was brought down by, guess what? Islamic terrorists, Islamic violence. And they were embarrassed, and they had to melt away. But this came to the intention of the Morton Downey Show, and even though I was sick, they said, we want you on. And they, they put together an appearance with me versus seven imams. Now, one thing, one thing you know as a performer is that you get your strength from the audience. And if the audience has been organized by seven imams who have seven congregations of followers against you, not a soul in the audience welcomes what you say, you shrivel inwardly. Um, yeah. you, lose, you lose your inspiration. So I cast around frantically, find somebody who could make, make sure that at least half the audience was in my favor. So I'd have somebody out there who was supporting what I had to say. And I found a Jewish group that was associated with Likud, which is a right-wing party in Israel. Mm -hmm. So I, I had avoided, I've been a left-winger all my life. I thought they were monsters. But they actually found people and packed them in those seats so I would have some support. And I did the appearance. You've seen the appearance. And when it was over, they had a little man sitting on stage with me who was not an imam. He was in a business suit. And as we were leaving and the cameras were off, he said, don't you realize we're where you were in 1650? Just give us another 350 years and we'll catch up with you in a nuclear era where the torture that Allah once perpetrated against the unbelievers can be done with the very tool that Allah calls for in the Quran, the, the fire that burns stones and bones. What more accurate description of a nuclear fire can you have? Uh, we don't have 350 years. I'm sorry. Islam has got to catch up to the rest of the world, and it has to do it now. Sure. Yeah, I, that actually wasn't even the episode that uh, that they, we found, though. Um, yeah. It was a, it was a, a music oh, industry appearance. Oh, it must have been appearance. the episode with me. Oh, oh, yes. Um, it, it, in 1981, one of my clients, Styx, um, came Sticks, Dennis DeYoung is brilliant. He's really amazing. He's not only a terrific singer and a terrific songwriter, he's a visionary. And every you guys were singing Mr. Roboto earlier. Yeah, right? that's sure, true. We yeah. were. <laughs> so Dennis came to me with the concept for his upcoming album. And it was an album about fanatics burning rock and roll records in the streets. And I thought, how cliched can you get? Remember, I grew up reading, writing two science fiction books a day when sure. I was a kid. And so this is Fahrenheit 451, all mm -hmm. over again, classic science fiction plot. To me, it was old and cheesy and really sorry. In the 1990s, which were then nine years ahead of us, there was no way this was going to happen. But just to be sure, I had my staff find every anti-censorship organization they could find. And the best one, I called the founder of the best one and said, you're going to think this is ridiculous, but my client says this is what's going to be happening in the 1990s. Is there any validation for what he's saying? And the founder of this anti-censorship group said, are you kidding? 
Those record burnings are happening 50 miles away from where you're living on Long Island, and they are happening now. Let me send you some material. I remember as sent- a kid watching people stomping uh, NWA's first album right. uh, well, in the streets. And, and the Peters brothers were behind a lot of it, but she sent me a pile of stuff this two and a half inches thick, and I read every single article that she sent me and went, holy moly. I exist only because of freedom of speech. The only thing that functions on me is my tongue, my ability to shape words in the English language. You take that away from me, you've just killed me. There's no way I could tolerate a lack of censorship or a lack of freedom of speech. So I got together with two friends, David Krabs, who managed uh, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, ACDC, and Bob Guccione Jr., who had founded a new magazine called Spin. Two people I really love. And I said, we've got to do something about this. So over lunch, we formed a group called Music in Action. They contributed some money. I contributed the time. And I fought a group called the Parents Music Resource Center, which was put together by Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife. Yeah. Yes, Al Gore. Fuck her. Uh, yeah. Oh, and Jesus, Susan Tipper. Baker, Susan Baker's husband had, was Secretary of State, Secretary of the Treasury, and the head of the president's staff. He just rotated through all the real important Horrible. positions in government. And basically... To... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, yeah, Howard. Well, basically, these women, because it wasn't just two of them. They had six of them all together, all senators' wives. These women had the capacity to take the six big companies that dominated the record industry and put them out of business. Why? Because they all relied on FCC licenses for their radio stations and their television stations. And a point had already been made with RKO, which is a big, big radio and television and film corporation. The government had withdrawn their FCC licenses, and overnight the company utterly collapsed. So these women had power over the music industry. And at one point, these women sent a secret letter to the six heads of the six big companies saying this Howard Bloom guy is very inconvenient for us, and we would appreciate it if you would get rid of him from our industry, from your industry. Um, but they didn't succeed because somebody... Uh, clearly. <laughs> clearly you, yeah. you hung around. You hung in there. Yeah. I wanted to so, ask you really you briefly... You on the board down junior show absolutely. going up against their, their fact total. Well, going yeah. back and looking for it again, I remember seeing that as a kid, that episode. Um, I, I, I was That's lucky enough thing. to have access to that show. I love Morton. And knowing about his life... <clears throat> how he grew up as this super liberal dude, very close to the Kennedys. His dad was a, a very celebrated Irish tenor. He was a super well-to-do, well-heeled liberal gentleman who uh, kind of put on this mask of a raving, froth-mouthed, right-wing lunatic and became the template for fucking Sean Hannity and Fox News. I mean, he really right, wrote the if fucking book. It. He wrote the book, but he... he he was fake. Like I, I really don't believe that Morton believed the things that he was out there espousing. I believe that he tapped into a nerve as an entertainer. Morton made regular appearances in pro wrestling, too. Of course. So there you go. <laughs> I mean, isn't, well, that, isn't two, that most pundits, shows, really? The two shows he did with me, he had two points of view, and he let us express ourselves. And again, we were. it was up to having an audience that would energize you sufficiently to be able to get your point of view across. Um, so I'm very grateful to Morton. Those were two very important issues. They're as important today as they were then. Freedom of speech and militant Islam. 
So it's yeah. pretty yeah. awesome. He he was ahead of his time. I feel like those are yep. both actually issues that are still uh, very very much discussed today. I loved yeah. uh, I loved his his loudmouth segment where he would allow the audience to come up to the podium and yell incoherent babble at. at uh, <laughs> I'm I'm, de- I'm dead serious. I love the way that he would put these stodgy experts you know um uh ron paul was the victim of this he would put these stodgy experts in front of this new jersey crowd and allow them to just i I think we need more of that i think we need more i want to see politicians subjected to that kind of scrutiny get them in the hot seat and let these people that live in these towns say whatever the fuck they want to these people well i'm with you and it brings us back it brings us back to the insidious crime against liberty that is being perpetrated by these asshole republicans right now who insist on a witch hunt to find the leakers when in fact it's only through the leakers that you and i know the things that we need to know to make informed decisions and thus have a democracy agreed there needs to be a whistleblower protection clause written into the fucking constitution if you want my opinion i agree with it's, you. it's time for an amendment on uh, on protection for whistleblowers uh, who reveal government information that is publicly relevant. All right, we're going to be saying goodbye to Howard in a second, so uh, I'm going to. I think I'm just going to yield the floor to him to see if there's anything he w- desperately needs to say before we uh, we move on. Yeah. No, I I'm I'm with Paul on the fact that we need more debates of this kind. Um, we need more exposure for the key issues. We Americans have a right to know. That is profound. Stop over-secreting everything. Stop hiding everything. And stop calling unhiding things a crime because unhiding, revealing things, that is the meat and gravy of democracy. Rock on, I agree. Dude. Well, hey, uh, Howard, I wanted to say thank you. Uh, it was an honor to get a chance to chat with you, and I hope we get the opportunity to do this in the future. Well, um, I would enjoy it, Paul. I had, I enjoyed I had a really good time. I had a really we agree great time. about we agree about an awful lot of things, but again, it's the creativity comes in when we disagree. That's that's, that's true. Where we spoke. I agree. Thank you so much, Howard, for being here. Thanks, Howard. Always Have good to hear night. from you. And Thanks. Uh, Thanks, everyone DJ. out there, buy yep. Howard's Thanks. book, the uh, the Muhammad the Muhammad Code. Code. How a desert yep. prophet brought you ISIS and, and many others. And, Haram. and yes. my personal so, favorite is actually the Lucifer Principle. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm going to borrow that from you, TJ, if that's okay. What's that? I want to read the Lucifer you Principle. You definitely you should. Definitely Paul. should. I'm, I'm going to read it. I would recommend that book to anyone. All right. All done deal. Available on Amazon.com. Check them out. Check buy them it through our link so we make money too. Thank you, Howard. We all win. Thank you, everybody. I, I look forward to seeing you again soon. Have a great night. You, you too. too. Peace, dude. All right. All right. So uh, the are we going to take a short blunt. break? We'll take a quick break. We're two-thirds we'll, of the way through. Yeah, we're going to take a small break, and then oh. we will be back with some uh, some Videos. crazy people and some news. Some news and some crazy. Yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> Just give us 10 minutes. Thanks, guys. Later. 10 minutes, a.k.a. Fif- uh, 15 minutes TJ time. <laughs> TJ's time is slightly slower than everyone else's. Don't say whatever. You know it's true. Shut up, TJ.
homo on the ground Says he got a probe No, I got my chode But no, that's sick If I want a dick, I can get a dick And I like the metal stick with a little drip drip Without the knob on the top and all the stickiness And I know the satisfaction of a man Don't get me wrong, Guards the eyes of baby Does it turn me on? Like when a man tries to beat me Take off my hobo clothes And then he tries to beat me Cack in the mouth, put in the mouth Step to the south, make a scream out Then I'll be the hobo unit friends Talk about standing in the street Getting bent over a vent Looking forward to the public experience Get the loop, dude Use it for the back in action Stick it in and watch the hobo's ass construction Hobo, hobo, hobo Yo! 
Welcome back to the Drunken Peasants Podcast. TJ will not divide us. TJ will not divide us. TJ will us. not divide us. Okay. You will not divide us. That's great. Will not divide us. All right. You will not divide us. So anyway. You're not going to divide us. Okay. You're not going to divide us. All right. Sorry about right. dividing Thank you. Thank you. Um, so uh, we want to talk about our um, <clears throat> Patreon uh, private show. We're going to be doing that tomorrow. We're also going to be doing the DP Smoke Session. Yep. Uh, so the DP <coughs> Smoke Session is going to be at 3 Pacific. The private show is going to be at 6 Pacific. That's minus 7 GMT for you minus people across, some, uh, across the, the pond. Yeah, it's going to be magical. Yeah, uh, so check your uh, Patreon shit. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I, if you're a patron, uh, I would keep my eyes on the Patreon for further announcements to be released there. And uh, just real quick for you smoke sesh people, you $50 patrons, you have a little bit of homework in order to facilitate us getting you all in the room. The first thing you need to do, if you haven't already, is go to discord.gg, sign up for a free account there. All you need is an email address. And then you need to link that account to your Patreon account. And you can find uh, tips on how to do that in Patreon. Just look in your user settings. You'll see it right there. You can link it to Discord. If you don't do that, we can't give you the role necessary to bring you into the room. So uh, all of you need to do that. I'll remind you as often as I can before then. People are asking if they can sign up now. Yes. Uh, the, I know that the, the smoke sesh is full, but you can sign up now for the private show slot. Absolutely. If you want to yeah. get in on yeah. it. If you go to our Patreon, it used to be that you could only sign up the month before for the next month's show. But now it's been rearranged where you can actually go and sign up now and still get access to the private yeah. show so tomorrow. If you wanna, if you want to watch the private show live tomorrow. You can. Yes. yes, it is possible to do. Go right ahead. Uh, it's going to be a cool show. Um, we don't really have any specific plans cool. for it, but it we'll, probably, will be good. we'll probably get drunk and act like fools. All right, before we move on with the show, we also no have to talk about our Vimeo oh, stuff. Yeah, uh, so, we're oh, doing man. a coupon code for the next four days yeah. on uh, our uh, Young Turks, DP versus what is that Young Turks. that coupon code, TJ? Over five hours of footage. The coupon it? code to save, uh, what is it, 15 or 20%? 20%. 20% wow. is... Uh, Jimmy Bohr. <laughs> Jimmy. Wow. How do you spell Bohr. that? B O 
R E. So J I M M Y B O R E. Is there a space so, between there? No. No. I, yeah, there's a link in the description. If you don't see it now, refresh the page. It's there. Dope. Also, we have our uh, Drunken Peasants uh, back catalog available. $10 monthly gets you three days and 11 hours of content as of right now. Bodacious. It's It's Blind grown babes. over time. And we'll continue to grow. Yeah, yeah. We've we've already added three new videos to it so far. And Paul and I have a video project that we're going to start adding. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, oh, do you want to give them a little teaser of there's it, going oh, to be. Man. Do you want to give them a little teaser, Ben? There's going to be only available. On, 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 yeah, only on available demand, on exclusive. TV, on demand. We're going to release some exclusive stuff. Ben is going to whip my fat, flabby ass into shape. We're going to do a weekly check-in. I think TJ has said he might even try and do this with uh, us. He did say I'll that. Uh, but I'm, I'm in it to win it, man. I'm in it, I'm in it for the long haul. So it's going to include, like, if you're into this type of shit, shirtless pictures of Paul. Wow. Where you could see my oh, man titties okay. and my belly. <coughs> Paul, and every week we're um, going to go to the gym. Well, we're going to shoot some Paul, content. I think the best what. trailer for that is for you to just take your shirt off right no, now, Paul. Did no. You know what, Paul? No. Let oh, him see. DP on demand only. Let's bring out the DSLR, Paul. Only on demand do you can see these man titties. Yeah, Paul, we, we want to see him. Oh, yeah. You they're going to be nice and clear. I'm going to get you a 4K camera, Paul. Let's get a 4K camera. I'm down. Vibe, Let's dude. do it. Let's right. do it, man. Cool. Cool. Do so it. look look forward to that in the near future being added as exclusive content to DP On Demand, right? Yeah. Yep, that's true. So pretty cool shit. So there's just some of that. This is uh, some bullshit announcements. And now, uh, without further ado, two hours and 23 minutes in this episode, we'll watch some videos. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> so when you burn it down, Anderson, what are you left with? What are you left with, Anderson? Because, but people love are discriminating dog. against wolves. They're laughing at us at our stupidity. TJ? <laughs> TJ? TJ, are you with me? Pokemon going to pull. better well learn to love it. Wow. God damn it, we I love will, that intro. Alex, we will. It's grown on me tremendously. My Fuck. favorite part is the TJ. Have you learned to love me it, too. Paul? Yeah. Paul, TJ, have you learned to love it? Me? TJ, Look at are you him. with me? TJ, TJ <laughs> is like... a significant delay, you know, like a five-second delay you, or so. TJ's autistic staring at the floor. Yeah. TJ's all like <laughs> staring at the floor I'm like... gay. You're a gay frog, Ben. You don't even realize it. I am? I, yes, I'm a gay You're frog. You're a gay frog! <laughs> gay frog i okay. tweeted alex jones sometimes and he never tweets back he's a prick i don't know why come on alex. don't, don't come say on, that. Alex. we love TJ, you alex we you love already you. fucked us getting kevin smith on be don't. nice to us alex yeah alex is a great gentleman a great texan and a I, great american i fucked you getting kevin smith on no, no tj I did because oh, oh, okay. he was like even though your fucking movies suck i'd love yeah. to have you on my shit what an asshole <laughs> kevin was TJ. like fuck you basically politely <laughs> Well, TJ, you're an asshole, so no. No, he said if I uh, asked him nicely, he would, and then I did, and he lied. He lied, dude. He's a liar. Fuck I that. Sue Kevin Smith, dude. It's not, <laughs> my, fault. It's not my fault Kevin, Kevin Smith, Smith is a liar, dude. We're going to fucking sue you, buddy. You're sued. Consider Hashtag you're sued. Kevin Smith Consider is a liar. yourself sued, fucker. <laughs> Kevin Smith is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> fucking lying Kevin Smith. He said Smith. if I asked nice, he'd He's come terrible. on. I asked nice, he didn't come on. He's a liar. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, what? Kev, let's be well, honest. Kevin Smith's last, last few movies have been dog shit. Yeah, uh, they I, have don't been. Know, I, I don't know what I mean, crack like, he smoked. Know, Kevin whatever. Smith attacked my family. He did. <laughs> he did. 
Kevin he Smith raped my, my family. family. He attacked he your family. family. He Kevin killed my family. He killed my family. Kevin Smith killed members of your family. He did. Yeah. He killed them. He killed them. Did Kevin killed Smith dead. rape and murder a girl in 1981? Maybe. Yes, yes he did. Who Possibly. Can say? Who can say, Paul? Kevin Smith has done a lot of horrible All things. Right. Dude. Terrible person. So Terrible. here's Trump and Ryan. On the GOP health care. Oh, fuck. <laughs> the pressure, the arm twisting, the ultimatum. They have all. I would repeal Obamacare on day one. All day one. Wrong. Sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Ha <laughs> Doing. Dude, he looks like a fucking Muppet. <laughs> Doesn't he? I think he looks like that's a fucking. That's a disappointing day. I don't guys. know. Muppets are cute. I don't so know. let's get this straight. There's a Republican Congress. Check. Check. There's a Republican Senate. Check. Check. And there's Republican, Republican President. President. Check. Check. Huh. Hmm. So. What's holding you back, fellas? Hmm. What's the problem, guys? I thought, I thought it was so easy. We're just going to get rid of this disastrous health plan. Are some of you plan? starting to it's think about uh, all those constituents Obamacare. back home that you're about to yank but coverage Paul, from? don't you remember? Obamacare's gone, and then all, everything's going to be great. Yeah, that's right. Apparently, it's not quite gone yet. Huh. Big it's not things great, is hard. All of us. All of us. Myself included. We will need time to reflect on how we got to this moment, what we could have done to do it better. How Speaker Paul... Let me help you out. Uh, maybe I'll actually, let Scotty help you out. Maybe you've actually had a fucking plan. You guys had seven years to go, this sucks, this sucks, this sucks. And then it was like, okay, you guys have won, so what are you going to do now? And it's like... Uh, was it the CBO report that killed this fucking thing? Yes. Uh, I think it was <laughs> lack of, ha of actually having a fucking plan, dude. This is like... Their plan seemed like some hastily thrown together bullshit. Like, we're going to offer tax credits or something? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like... I'll give you a, 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 a <laughs> thing if you do a what thing. What do I got in my pocket right now? You Every know? month you get two Tylenol okay, and mail. And calling it a healthcare <laughs> plan... What, how, dude, how Terror is it a health plan? Asia. Paul, how, okay, do you find a health plan as reducing coverage increasing cost? Uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> do I find a health... Wait, wait. Ask me one more time. I'm do sorry. Find, I'm stoned. Do you find what they propose to actually be a health care plan? No! I <laughs> Not at all. It's a health care reduction plan. It's a health... Yeah, it's a reduction in health care for multiple millions of people <laughs> in this country. P people that probably... A lot of them probably voted for these Republican senators, yeah, which, which would explain Tell why all Kentucky of a sudden... shit, Scotty. Okay, 25% of people, I think, that uh, in, is in the state of Kentucky have, have been eligible because of Medicaid expansion. Voted for a governor who ran on the platform of, we're going to do, do away with Medicaid expansion. And now, of course, they also voted for Trump, who wanted to get rid of Obamacare in the first place. So millions of people in the state are going to lose their health care because of the way they voted. So they basically voted against their own self-interest. Ridiculous. Brian deciding to pull the Republican Obamacare repeal and replacement plan. Hours after traveling to the White House to tell President Trump directly, he didn't have the votes to pass. So they didn't even vote for it. Man, I wish I yeah. could have been a fly on the wall They didn't even vote for, for it, so they didn't even have to go on the record and say I'm voting against this. You know what the crazy thing is? Like, how many times did these fuckers, when they were in the minority, uh, vote to fucking repeal Obamacare? Well, that just shows you, dude. They're bullshit. It's all a show. Votes. Yep. I've told you, it's all a fucking show, dude. Because the minute they can do it. The fucking president said repeal it. They've all said they want to fucking repeal it. And look what they're doing. Do they repeal it? They're liars. They're standing there holding their they're dicks. They're fucking liars, dude. And why anyone believes any of this shit is important anymore is a fucking mystery to me. Pageantry. This is all it is. It's just like, look, plebs. Look at the show. And this is how, this is how millions upon millions of loyal Republican voters find out that their fucking <laughs> representatives don't have the balls to pull the trigger on one big issue. Of course not. Whoops. Yeah, I mean, like, and after they set it up for seven years as the boogeyman that they're going to fucking slay. 
We're going to slay the dragon. We're going to save the princess. Nope. Never mind. Looks like it's going to be too hard. We're not going to do it. And warning, one source said that the loss on the House floor could be big. Obamacare is the law of the land. It's going to remain the law of the land until it's replaced. We <laughs> did not have quite the vote. This is such a, an L for you. Like, this is like... <laughs> I mean, seriously, this is the one thing they said they would do <laughs> when they got back in power. Like, what uh, the why fuck? Why would they do it? Okay. What a sad okay, failure. Ben, but it's like this, Ben. Let's say I have two cell phones and I give you a cell phone. They're like, oh, I have a great cell phone. I'm going to say, oh, hey, Ben, I'm going to need that phone back now that you've learned to live with it and you like it and you have all these features that you want. You're not going to just want to give that up. And it's the same thing with an entitlement program. You've added millions of people to insurance and these people can all vote. So if you take them away, that away from them, like, oh, sorry. Uh, grandma's lost her insurance. You know what's going to happen? Grandma's going to die yeah, from lack of health care. You know what the media is going to go in? To see this nice old lady. Oh, what a nice person she was. And all these people liked and cared about her. Oh, well, she couldn't get healthier, so she's dead now because of Trump. <laughs> it's not a comparable issue, really, but it, it just goes with you know presidential promises. Like Guantanamo still exists, and that was Obama's like thing oh, yeah. he said he was going to do right Nuclear away. Nuclear disarmament that he never did. That was another thing. Yeah, Obama yeah. was like, we're going to fucking we're going to you know scale back. Our our nuclear arsenal never happened. Oh, uh, whoops. <laughs> uh, uh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's learning the political reality that the, there's so much corruption and there's so much there's so many other interests that are going against you that it's like, oh, I want you if you're, the president genuinely wants to do something that yeah, sure, they want they might want to do it, but then it's like, uh, here's the reality. I'm the, just they'll glad, never pass Congress. It'll I'm just never glad happen. to know that conservative politicians are just as meek and ineffectual <laughs> as uh, liberal ones. It's it's reassuring in a way. To replace this law. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to be living with Obamacare for the foreseeable future. A President himself made his final offer. Vote now or he's prepared to move on. I think we have to let Obamacare go its way for a little while. And We're going to replace it. Repeal and replace. We're going to repeal and replace, replace disastrous Obamacare. I mean, it's a disaster. Dude, remember when Trump was like, it's we're, we're going to be winning so much, you're going to be tired of winning. Let's just <laughs> move on. You ain't won shit. You're just going to love Trump. It's so what blase. have you done? I what have you accomplished? Uh, all that, all that was on, accomplished guys. was uh, the, the cost of insurance went up. Couldn't do your travel I, ban. I, can't I, get rid of Obamacare. I wonder Doesn't how that, look like you're going to get this wall done. I wonder how what this, you got, Trump? I wonder how this humble pie tastes in comparison to the foie gras he's used to. <laughs> Big old slice of bullshit you had to eat today, Trump. Uh, we're just gonna let it st- let a major campaign promise go right by the wayside. Next, oh my goodness! Here's a few uh, super chats. Love that the we debate, debate, Paul. And that's twenty pounds again. Thanks, man. Man, we're Thanks. just raking in the British raking cash. In the pounds. <laughs> Our British fans are way more generous than you American scumbags. Well, here's here's a good one. Too. Oh, never mind. Scotty said it best. Scotty said it best. I don't know exactly what. I don't Scotty know what said Scotty best. said the best. Uh, everything. But something. Whatever. Everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> we got a hardcore Duh. Scotty fan giving us money. Wow. Dope. Money for Scotty. I just love Trump, though. It's just like. Oh. We'll just move on, guys. Oh, that, that didn't work out that way. Uh, Trump has a total businessman approach. It's like, oh, we we didn't succeed. Well, let's let's move past this because because Trump realizes he's not going to look good on this issue anymore. So now it's tax reformers we're going to hear about. Oh, we need to do, the tax system is broken. We're going to fix that. Guess what? We're not fixing that. <laughs> we're not fixing that. Uh. 
Do something, Trump. Come on. Maybe the corporate tax rate gets lowered or something. That might happen. I'm, I'm, I got to fucking root for Trump to at least get some little notch in his belt. You know, like nah. do something. I hope he just has to keep doing this. Like, oh, ahead. you know what? This wall thing Let's doesn't look on. like it's going to happen. Move We're on. just going to move on. <laughs> I got business to do. <laughs> oh, what a faggot. Looks like Obamacare. Yep. Still going to be around. Uh, well, yeah, this that trade deal <laughs> renegotiation isn't looking like it's happening yeah. in well, the foreseeable why, future. Why want, why, Paul, why would you think anything different? I always wanted to point out, I want to do it during the debate, but you guys were talking. It's like, who was the first person that Trump really thanked? Dude, I wonder it was how, Hillary Clinton, dude. I wonder how life in Kekistan is right now. All the Trump and Trump, Trump, having to watch Trump, God Trump, Emperor Trump, Trump get down Trump. on one knee and go, well, we're going to be sucking the Obamacare, oh, dick. You know what, Paul? Just go listen. Just go listen to all the conservative radio and all that shit, because they'll find a way to spin it. Oh, it was Trump, Trump, Trump. It was the Trump, Democrats. Trump, Trump, Trump. Trump. No, no, no. It was it's, the weak Republicans. They're going to blame, oh, yeah. blame Paul Ryan, and they'll blame the moderates Cucks, and Cucks. the Texas conservatives. Re- Texas Representative Gomert. Gomert. There's uh, a video uh, featuring him. Wow. Says this is all right now going to be on Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer. Now, again, some of the conservatives what? beyond just the caucus that rejected this rejected <laughs> it, saying that it really was just this. I've never seen Cavuto in person, but he just seems to have a gargantuan head uh, to me. Watermelon. He, he was just saying it was the Democrats. It's like yeah. the Republicans have majorities. Those obstructionist minority Democrats stepping in front of those <laughs> votes that we couldn't come up with in the Republican side. How did they how they do that? I don't know. How come oh. they didn't side with us against <laughs> themselves? I don't know. What a Pieces mystery. Of shit. Lighter version is still a big government program. Texas Congressman Louis Gomert was among them. Oh, what the he fuck? was a no vote on this. The president Dude, seemed to... Not only does Gomert look like a Gomert... I mean, not only does he sound like a Gomert like you said earlier, but he looks like a fucking yeah, Gomert, dude. too. Just, and listen to him, too. Uh, Gomert, Gomert, Gomert. ...indicate right now that you, you didn't help matters any, not you specifically, Congressman. But what do you make of that? Those are the eyes of a broken fucking <laughs> man, dude. Those are the eyes yeah. of a man who has looked straight into the fucking gaping, fiery anus of Satan himself. I, I, imagine I don't know Louis, what's going on there. I imagine Louie would have a similar expression if he walked in on his wife with, like, three black dudes jerking off onto her face. Yeah, except you have a boner. <laughs> well, I, it's a treat to get to follow uh, listening to him, because I hope that you had to see the kind of leak. Dude, what does Gomert's dick what? look like? Gross. Uh, like a Gomert, What dude. is Gomert <laughs> even fucking saying? Every time we, ha- every time we watch him on the show, every time we watch this dude, I'm just like the whole time like, huh? Are, there, are those all words? Right, all, right, all right, let's give him a chance. Right, chance. He's become is the kind of leader I've saw him, uh, I've seen him be for the last three days. I mean, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I know that, but I, 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 a, a, what about... Uh, she's been phenomenal? What? What a... Uh, a representative of Kekistan um, left a super chat. Oh, they did? It. Oh, did they? Yeah. Cool. Answering my question, Kekistan, Kekistan is, is doing, doing great. great. Ryan Care failed just as planned. Oh, oh! That's pa- oh, it's 4D chess. Dude, it's all part the of the mad fucking man plan. The madman did it again. The madman <laughs> did it again. Yeah, dude. He, he wa- failed. He wanted to fail. To win. <laughs> Sometimes you gotta fail to win, dude. You and your role of weather, you guys ruined this for the party. That's what people are gonna start saying now. What do you say? Well, you had if this had gone to a vote, you would have seen probably about an equal number of of uh, guys. I'm gonna look like a total fucking capitulating piece of shit on live TV. But that's gonna position me. To completely fucking win down the road. Like, how does how does this translate to this a win? This is winning. 
I want to no, hear dude. how it you're how ju- it works. You're just tired oh, you'll of winning. See. You don't have to hear how it works, Paul. Paul. You'll see how it. You've works. You've already won, Paul. What Obamacare. It, we, he went literally from Obamacare is a flaming pile of garbage. We're going to repeal it on day one. To you know what? This Obamacare thing. We're just going to move on. It ain't happening. In the vote. So some thought that it might be better if he pulled the bill so they could just blame the House Freedom Caucus when they had. had I mean, when you have the chair of appropriations saying he looked at it, this is not a good blah, bill. Blah, 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 blah. Uh, bullshit, bullshit, Is he looking bullshit. like platinum blonder to anybody? Is that just the lighting? I think the it's just the lighting in the room. The light, okay. I think that's just the light. Look how uh, his, he's a little oversaturated, especially up in that hair. Oh, someone, uh, someone else from the chat has an opinion that is... Uh, the opposite of the other person. Trump is not the arbiter of change. He's an establishment huckster who conned millions of idiots into thinking he's the right-wing Bernie Sanders. Hey, retards, you're being had. No, nah, it's 4D chess, dude. 4D chess. <laughs> he's he's, it's he's all eating part of Trump's I, I master plan. I wish plan, I could believe dude. you, He's Paul, sitting at the trough at his desk, Look, eating mouthfuls of his own shit right now. This but- is like the moment in the chess game where he lets you capture the queen... But you don't know yep. that you've exactly. just positioned yourself trap. to lose the king. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's a queen trap. You know what? He's eating a bunch of shit today. But <laughs> when his trap. body processes that shit, it's going to shit out nuggets of gold, dude. You I mean, just Ryan watch. Ryan is, is just, he's the ultimate uh, uh, congressman. He's been very studious his whole time here. What wasn't it about a lot of concessions made to conservatives ticked off moderates, concessions made to moderates ticked off conservatives. I guess I ask this now, Congressman, because presumably you move forward on tax reform. You have Speaker Ryan saying that it could be tough. You have Kevin Brady saying, you know, full speed ahead. Where are you in this well, and, and whether this telegraphs trouble for that? Well, uh, with the tax reform bill, there has been a lot more involvement. Yes, we had listening sessions, but then we were given a bill and we went, wait, this isn't what we talked about. And, and well, but we're going to push it through. And there was so much wisdom in what uh, President Trump said about this, the bill that is. Mama always says, "Yeah, what the fuck? Like a box of chocolate. <laughs> what Jesus. the fuck? Never know Go what yeah. you're gonna get." Basically, now Obamacare is a distant dream, and now tax reform is gonna be difficult, if, guys. If they started fading in the Forrest Gump music behind this interview, I would fucking die. Na 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 I, that'd be the best shit, dude. Uh, and then Forrest Gump became a senator. It's like, what? <laughs> what the fuck is going He's on? He's the ultimate senator. Have you been looking it's at Trump? And new Mr. Trump sure does know what needs to be done in every situation. Oh, Here's some just money. Thanks yeah. for the money. Thanks for the money, Just Jorge. money's cool, too. Money. Notice how I didn't call you George like TJ would have. Yeah. Or hey. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. His Thank you for your money. In law right now is totally owned by the Democrats. And this bill was going to be a problem. More federal government, more federal control is not the answer. And the president, if I were him, I would... I, man, he gave it a, an incredible try. He gave it an incredible try. Do or do not. There you is know, no try. Mama used to say that sometimes all you can do is try. <laughs> <laughs> Na 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 na. Fucking Louis Gomert, man. We're gonna all get the, tired of winning, you they, guys. All they can do is try. Tired of winning. <clears throat> Trump gave it a hell of a shot, but it just can't be done, y'all. You know, Mama always told me that sometimes you have to break a promise. Well, you know what? Like you guys, 
Even when you knew you had they no chance. Even when you knew you had they no ran chance. On it, dude. Even when you knew you had no chance, you kept trying to do it. But now that you have majorities, now it's just like, yeah, well, first try didn't work. We give up. Oops. Yeah. We actually didn't have our own plan. Sorry. On a bill that was really, like he said, there were some problems here. And if you if you were following people that were falling away for the Tuesday group, yeah. there was what nothing were the being... Or the problems. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, look at this. <laughs> no, but what were the fucking problems, <laughs> look dude? At, look at Neil Cavuto. <laughs> You know what the problems were? All the problems that were laid out in the CBO report in that the fact that, oh, wow, it's actually going to not really save that much money. And, oh, wow, it's gonna, a lot of people are going to lose this program they've come to depend on. And, oh, wow, a bunch of people were pissed off about it now suddenly defending it. So now it's unpopular to get rid of it. So now you guys need an excuse not to get rid of it. Yep. Because it turns out that once people realize what Obamacare actually was, like, it, we, we, they should have known this because all of the individual provisions with the exception of the insurance mandate, tested well, like pulled well, yeah, extremely well with people. So when people found out like, oh, well, Obamacare actually means you don't get this anymore, and you don't get this anymore, and you don't get this anymore. Yeah, kids are off your insurance. and It's like, ooh, well, America's like, eh, you know, on a second thought, fuck that. Don't really, <laughs> don't really want that. <laughs> this is just hilarious to me. I'm sorry. This is not 4D chess. No, I do love watching these fucking idiots this eat crow. This is 1D checkers. Yep. It really is. King May. Nope. Oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> nope. Because you just fucking walked right into a triple jump, Dude, retard. Uh, does, does Gomer kind of remind you of Pumpkinhead? <laughs> Stay away from Pumpkinhead unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead. He's cruel and unforgiven. Yeah, kind of. Paul knows some weird poem associated with it. That's, that's actually the poem that that movie is based on. They, oh, really? Yeah. They do cool. that in a misfit song called Pumpkinhead. Oh, really? Neat. Yeah, they actually say that poem in it. That's pretty badass. Yeah. All right. Well, Larry, <laughs> is it Larry Gomert? That's his name? That's yep. his first name? Larry Gomert. Representative Larry Gomert. Ugh. Hey, everybody. Working hard for you. What a strange man. I don't like him. Wow. Down there from Rootin' Tootin', Texas, making oh, sure man. the Lone Star State stays free. Wow. Maryland. Uh, so you want to go to the Maryland rape case here? I Yeah, sure. We're going to hang out and find out the, ma- the rape in Maryland. We've got about 15 minutes. Yeah, let's do we the rape can, case. We can do the rape case, or we can do some this, crazy people. No, this rape case, I believe, is uh, is kind of uh, a big, big story. Okay, well, let's take right, a look. Let's do it. I think we should take Another a look Another case at it. getting national attention is one we first brought you here on Special Report. Two teenagers in the country illegally who now stand accused of raping a 14-year-old girl in a high school bathroom in Maryland. Now, the Senate Judiciary Chairman wants answers about how they were able to remain in the country after both had been caught by immigration officials. Correspondent Doug McKelway has our report tonight. Now, obviously, this has become a story that is a major um, right-wing talking point at this uh, point. I mean, notice, notice who's covering it here. Of course, yeah. And uh, actually, the, 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 a lot of the media has kind of been ignoring this story. Um, so yeah, this uh, this 14-year-old girl was raped by two illegal immigrants, both of whom had been processed before and processed. Yeah, uh, both had you know remained in the country, and of course they'd gone. They went on to commit this uh, this cr- criminal act that we obviously treat uh, and take very seriously. So um, I, I'm not a big fan of. Hey, look, there was this one person who did this one thing, or these two people in this instance, therefore all the immigrants are like this or something. 
Uh, but, um, and you know, of course, you could have white people rape people, black people rape people, whatever. You could be a natural born U.S. citizen and still be a fucking rapist. Sure. Mm-hmm. But do you think there is a point uh, here where uh, someone can immigrate to this country illegally, be caught, and then apparently released, and then they commit a serious crime? Do you think that there is some need for reform in that system? That's to anybody who wants to answer it. Um, I, oh, I was just kind of thinking about it. So, so, so they were caught as an illegal immigrant and yes. released. They were caught as they were they were illegal immigrants. They were known to be living in this country. They were that's fine. I, at one point, so saying, I, I would saying, say should you deport them when you catch them or not is what you're saying. Yeah, I I don't know if that would necessarily weed out more pedophiles. I mean, like no, because like someone who comes here legally is just as capable of being a pedophile, a rapist, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it that's that's something you know. I mean, these kids were going to the same school, so I don't know if they're necessarily pedophiles. Oh, they were, oh so these oh, are. Children okay. that they, they were immigrant they're not, children. They're not children, really, because see, teenagers. They were like eighteen and nineteen, but okay. they were put in the ninth grade because they had no formal education. Oh, okay. Well, were they they're, born, they're but still they considered weren't born here. No, were their parents brought them here? Then they I came presumably pr- with I their would, parents. I would presume they came. They with probably their parents. came here when they were young or something. Okay, so this is like like that's kind of why I reserved comment at first because this, the particulars here matter. And, you know, if these are the children of illegal immigrants that have been going to school here for a number of years, this is a different story. Well, let's, um, let's take a look. Yeah. From Rockville, Maryland. This morning, Rockville City Police were at the home of 17-year-old Jose Montano, the juvenile rape suspect from El Salvador, who's being tried as an adult. He I'm sorry, they were actually 17 and 18. Came here okay. illegally and is said to live in this shack in his uncle's backyard. His family has rejected the public defender first assigned to the case. Montano, now represented by a respected criminal defense attorney, the bilingual David Wooten, whose firm's website touts his, quote, multicultural life experiences. Last year, Wooten won acquittal for... Well, of course, because now this case is high profile. No yeah. one. They were stuck with a public defender, but then there was some media attention, and all of a sudden, yeah. woo! Here, Mr. Come, here comes Mr. Save the Day. Yeah, and here I come to save your life. For a defendant accused of sexual abuse by a 15-year-old girl. He says Montano, who's being held at this juvenile detention facility nearby, is innocent. He plans his first meeting with them this weekend. There's your version, there's my version, and there's the truth. Uh, in my experience as a criminal defense attorney, uh, that is almost always... <laughs> basically, like sh- shows. Basically, we have a shameless publicity uh, stunt guy here, and we have what, what what actually happened. I mean, I don't really know what the facts of this case are. I yeah. mean, is, is there overwhelming evidence that they did it? I mean, or is it what what is that? I mean, we're spending a lot of time giving FaceTime to this dude, not a lot of time giving salient facts from the case. This yeah. dude, all I've heard is one of these kids lived in his uncle's backyard in a shack. And, and he, he was went, attending school. Well, and the also, other one, he, oh. also his, you know, a prior case of sexual assault that he got someone off. You know, he got the, uh, won an acquittal. Sure, he <laughs> got him off, dude. He the sexual off, assault dude. is actually what got him off. No oh, shit. <laughs> the truth. Uh, the truth is somewhere in between. Attorneys for the other. D- wow, that's a fallacious reasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's truth their somewhere. version and there's my version and then there's other version. But you know, the truth. 
somewhere automatically in the middle. Like, yeah. no, it could be more towards one side or the other. It's not yeah. automatically just in between. Well, it's his job to raise reasonable doubt, not of to course. find the truth. Of course. The old Henry Sanchez say since a series of TV interviews yesterday in which they proclaimed their clients' innocence, they have been besieged with hate mail. One threatening the violent rape of a lawyer's daughter. Another Jesus. suggesting the firm get metal detectors. In a new I mean, like, that's just the internet for you. Sure. I mean, you know. I don't understand why people still trot out, like, someone said this, someone said that. It's like, yeah, you can always find someone who's saying some crazy shit. You know? Today, Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan leveled a politically risky dig at deeply Democratic Montgomery County, the state's most populous. Montgomery County is acting as a sanctuary uh, county, and uh, they are not cooperating with federal authorities. That's a big part of the problem. That charge backed up by a DHS report released Monday that documents how Montgomery County ranks near the top of U.S. jurisdictions that decline ICE detainers. Meanwhile, the sponsor of a state bill that would officially make Maryland a... So I guess the argument here is that if this uh, place was not a sanctuary city, then uh, this this crime wouldn't have happened. I don't. I, I don't. <laughs> who, who can say that? That's, yeah. that's hard that's to know. I think that's kind of a silly assertion yeah. to make. And, yeah. I mean, uh, like these, these could have easily been uh, boys that were born here. I mean, it's not. They, they, I guess that would be relevant if only illegal immigrants were perpetrating these crimes then yes you would see a spike in rapes and shit but that doesn't that isn't bearing up i would out say though i would say though uh you know if 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 they were found to be illegal they they probably should have followed the law when, when it came to that I mean, one of them <laughs> but is i don't a think minor. It, i don't think it prevents well th- i mean that's also a different story too and well, they're both he's in being, school he's not being tried as a minor though so why are they even in school if they're illegal you know they look you you know how many kids in the area that I worked in are illegal aliens that are being given an American education. A profound number of them. Uh Uh-huh. So, you know, why aren't they getting swept up and just jerked out of the country until they, you know, well, before they what, become racist? That's what the... Uh, or before they become rapists. That's what the uh, the Trump administration uh, seems to want. Sure. So that's their, that's their plan is but like, it, get all these Mexicans who are here illegally out of here. And I don't. I just don't think it directly like links this. to this sort of crime, though. It I, they they weren't just inherently evil because they were illegal immigrants. No. You know what I mean? Well, like, I, I think it's also the kind of the perception too. It's like you people think about the country of Mexico as like this is a very rapists. Cri- well, no, it's a very crime ridden place. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of stuff. So those people are automatically are just like the, that. They're, yeah. they're like that element of that country. But it's like maybe they're trying to escape that. In that country, most of them are. You know, that's that. Well, yeah, they're they're, they're economic migrants generally. They said yep. they were from El Salvador. Was it? Is it even more depressed there? Oh yeah, El Salvador. Well, oh, that's Central America. It's yeah. terrible there. That's terrible I conditions. That's I Sanctuary State is blaming what happened at Rockville High School on American culture. Unfortunately, in this country, we suffer from a rape culture. The- what? Oh God! Here we rape go. Rape culture. Rape culture. Um, culture in this rape country, culture. I, oh, I already knew it. The Have you guys ever thought about the fact culture. that rape culture is like a form of rape apologism? Because it's basically saying, oh, it's not this person who did this act. It's the culture. It All kinda, of the culture is yeah, to blame. They're not responsible for their rape. It's because we live in a rape culture that they did that rape. Yeah, it is kind of. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. The criminal justice system does is not does not provide an environment, a level playing field for a victim to successfully bring a case. She does not mention that many immigrants from Central America have escaped cultures where warring factions use rape as a systematic means of oppression and control. What does that have to do with anything? 
I'm sorry, like that's just totally non sequitur. Like what what they do in those countries? Like what are, what are you saying? Like we should be more like them, or we what? should be more tolerant of rape, or like you know she can't say anything because the country that she's more from is more yeah. fucked up. I don't you're more know. likely to be raped where you're from anyway. So suck it up and take your yeah, rape. Our rapes here are, happen much less frequently, so it's okay. Suck like, it up. There's way more rapes where you come from. Come on. It's like what? It's sort of uh, immaterial, dude. That doesn't really mean much. The next court appearance for Montana was set for March 31st and for Sanchez on April 14th. And one note about juries in Montgomery County, Maryland. They tend to be truly multicultural, composed of whites, blacks, Asians, and Latinos in one, any one trial. And in addition to that, both defense attorneys and prosecutors alike will tell you they tend to take their job very seriously and follow the law. Well, that's so... Like what? What do you? What, what, are we supposed to like fucking applaud that? Like <laughs> here in our county, our the, lawyers the law take serious. the law seriously. It's like, well, goddamn, I would fucking hope so. Yeah, that's kind of our, our job, other counties in Maryland, like the law. Who cares? <laughs> Most of Maryland is just Mad just Max make bullshit. It up. But make here, it up. today the law says this. <laughs> He's like, whatever. Um. So yeah. We can uh, we can take a look at some supernatural shit if you guys want. We could if we got some, some time. Crazy people. We have a little bit of time. I wouldn't even bother playing the intro. Let's just jump into the supernatural. The supernatural. What do we got on shit. the deck here? Ten of the freakiest alleged poltergeists caught on poltergeists. video. Poltergeists. Oh wow! From plates being pulled off tables to pets acting as if they sense an unwanted presence. Here are ten freaky alleged poltergeists oh, caught on video. Whoa! Number ten. This was okay. the footage captured on CCTV in the Carlisle Castle Hotel. That's scary, man. The first camera shows a small dining area where oh, no. a white transparent figure resembling a person is like seen a... waving its arm in front of the camera. That doesn't like this a goes on for almost 30 seconds. It looks like light Then the from video a cuts to another camera headlight. aimed at a bar. Nah, guys. Right as this guy opens up the fridge, two bottles fall out from one of the oh, compartments. My God. Now the first one is a bit understandable as it seems to already be sitting on the edge. But a second bottle also follows after the first one. Maybe that one if, was. Maybe, maybe that, that one was, was leaning on that. Yeah, one. I was gonna bottle. say maybe that one was sitting on no. the edge because the one behind no. it fell over uh -uh. and was leaning on it. Dude, Paul, did you see that? Like, look, it fell he, off the shelf opened, all by itself. He opened. Yeah, he opened the fucking freezer, dude, and it just fell magically. Yeah, dude, it's almost like maybe the pressure change made some wind. That no, 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 that couldn't happen. No, pressure what? chase made some wind. What's more likely, Paul? I'll make some wind. A spirit moved it. Oh, yeah, poltergeist. Looks as if it were pushed. Yeah. And then in this final scene, in public view for many guests to see, a glass suddenly breaks on the counter behind the bar. If you look closely, it appears that the glass fell down from above, probably where the other glasses were hanging. Mm -hmm. Um, so what? So why, that's what glasses do when they fall, they break. They fucking, it fell over. Like, so you're telling the thing me moved. that this, the, these three things happening, a bottle that fell over and a glass that fell out of an overhead fucking thing... And some car lights. Paul, shit falling at a bar definitely proves the fucking presence of poltergeist. Yeah, I didn't realize that because I've been at bars when shit's fallen and bro uh, broke before. But I, I just thought it was, it was like waitresses tripping or somebody yeah, didn't no, hook up the thing I never right. would have imagined that I was hearing evidence of poltergeist that entire time. Were, were these three strange events something of a hoax, a coincidence? A hoax? Or is the Carlisle Castle Hotel really haunted? Number what? nine. So we see a young woman sitting and eating alone in a buffet. Alright. Moments after she gets up to get another plate, things start to move and fall off the table. 
We don't get to see what happens when she returns, but if this were to be a hoax, the participants would have had to have known where the surveillance camera was pointed and somehow attached strings to the objects on the table without catching any suspecting or curious eyes of employees. Oh shit, you gotta be joking. A napkin flew off. Plus, the reactions the people sitting at the other tables give isn't really something you would expect if they were looking at some strange guy sitting pulling strings to pull dishes off a table. What? So that's evidence. What Pe kind of reaction people, would you People would you aren't acting, acting like, oh, this is really strange, so you know it's true. What? Yeah, they're not looking like you would react to s random shit uh, flying off a table how either. Many, how many times have you been to a restaurant that you're like really focused on everyone else around you? You're like, what is that guy doing? Like, yeah. very rarely. You're mostly just eating You would food. expect them to look longer out of curiosity. But then again, maybe it's also no not the kind of reaction people would give to something falling off a table all on its <clears> own. <throat> yeah, that's so if you this look at this scene, let's just look at this real quick. Can difficult? you pause it real quick? Yeah. Okay, so the woman was sitting uh, at the, on the plate closest to us, but there's also a sitting there earlier where somebody clearly had lunch. So what happened is this dude comes in, rigs a bunch of shit on the table while he's eating lunch. This bitch comes over and finishes doing it, gets up and walks away, and then off camera somebody pulls it all off the table. Is that not plausible? No, it's no, not. not at all. Not as plausible as probably. Ghosts. Would it be possible? Yes. Was it a hoax? That's up for you to decide. Uh. That napkin just flew off the table. Yeah, man, dude. What these these prankster ghosts, man? Look at that. Knocking How do things you fucking off the explain tables. that, bitch? I just can't, man. I just can't. You can't Number explain eight. that shit. In this one, we see a guy shopping in a convenience store when a small pink object seems to float out from the shelf behind him, while at the same time a yellow object of the same size falls off the shelf onto the ground. As the guy picks it up, the floating pink object falls to the floor as well. Yeah, check this out. This guy here, watch behind his head. Oh. Just, just look at a shelf. It's the weirdest thing. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. This is, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Explain that, skeptics. Oh Something fell off a shelf. Uh, edited, oh, it just, edited footage, I don't know. It just floated off the shelf and levitated there, Scotty. Is that what you're saying? I mean, what's the gen? Wh wh who's this guy? What's yeah. this footage from? What store does he work at? Oh, all that you don't need to know all those. Because all I'm seeing Paul. is a bunch of people reacting Going, oh, to an internet this is video. Oh, crazy! Look at that. This is at a store, Paul. Here's another video in a small store with things falling off the shelves. All right. From this angle, it appears these items fall off the shelves from different levels at completely different times. Yep. Let's take a look. Oh shit. The way these people are reacting, covering their heads and shit, it and looks like topic a, possibly an earthquake, maybe? Yeah. Like if something falls off running? a shelf, do you run out, run out of the store like this? No. <laughs> of convenience stores, check out this weird footage of a shopping cart seemingly moving on its own after hours in a small store. Alright. Uh, the wind? 
Apparently, ghosts have to do their oh, shopping at night. Oh, it's in the night. store? It's in the store, dude. Oh, well, fuck. Oh, look at that. No, Stop looks, motion. No, that doesn't look like it's in the store. That looks like one of those fucking open garden docks at uh, Walmart where nope. it's outside and it's nope. like greenhouse style. Nope. nope. Look at it. It's turning. It's even turning, Paul. Oh, no, Paul. The fucking wind blew a cart. No. Nope. That look, is it's ghost. all fucking Evidence. fertilizer and shit back there. It's the open look. air. Nope. Look, it's moving, Paul. It's moving. Oh, my God. People are so fucking dumb. Uh, not to mention, that's something you could also rig up very easily. Number seven. This innocent employee of what appears to be a party store is minding his own business doing when stock work sudden, when the merchandise that he throws on the floor begins to slide away on its own. He seems to take notice of the sounds of the sliding objects, but looks in all the wrong directions. When something falls off the shelf in the background, the employee takes off running. So what appears to be a store. Well, so what kind of store is this? Halloween store. store. Looks like a place you could go to get Halloween masks. Wonder what's the date on that? One. It's one twelve twenty fourteen. Or wait, maybe that's thirty. Yeah, it is twenty fourteen. I think it's one twelve. Yeah. Oh Number shit! Six. Run. In this clip, Ran? recorded on security cameras in the Brookside Theater in Romford. A chair moves backwards unaided, and a table appears to get pulled as orbs of light float across the room. Sweet. Theater manager orbs. Jay Seppel revealed that he decided light, to look at the CCTV footage when he came in on Sunday and noticed one of the chairs was askew. askew. After checking the CCTV footage, he noticed a chair in the third row appeared to move backwards unaided. He quoted, I never usually check the CCTV cameras as there is so much on there, we would only ever check it if there was an incident, he said. Roy Roberts, a medium performing at Brookside on Saturday night, believes that the video. Okay, so literally, a medium, dude. Literally, a medium. within like, like, yeah. like a, 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 a twenty-four hour period, or like a whole weekend, no one else could have moved this chair, and he could just show this footage and be like, "Look, no. the chair moved magically." This is ridiculous. The chair moved, Scotty. How I is mean, it ridiculous? There's what no is it going to take to convince you? Of the fucking reality of this proposition, Scotty. There's no way that when these chairs were... How many were things have you seen just move okay. by themselves? None. Orb-jorb. Orbs. Orb-jorb. Orbs Horn show jorb. up, orb they move jorb. shit around, and they leave, Scotty. Bricks get thrown, too, according to What is to wrong Stevie. with that theory? And you know, Stevie's, Stevie's theory is sounding a lot more sound now that How I see this video it? evidence of just what he talked about. Tide goes in, yeah, tide goes out. great arguments from ignorance. Can't explain right, that. Wonderful. Oh, it's beautiful. All right. Oh, okay. I think it's time to end the show. All right, show. it's time for the show to end. Thank you guys for watching. Please uh, thumbs it up. If you want to see more Drunken Peasants, go buy uh, Drunken Peasants On Demand or go check out the uh, Drunken Peasants versus the Young Turks. Uh, we got a super 20 chat real quick. discount for uh, people who enter the uh, coupon code Jimmy, Jimmy Boar. Boar. Jimmy Boar into uh, our uh, Vimeo thing for that. I love watching you guys rip apart these paranormal videos. It's the best shit. Rock on DP. Thank you. Thank you, person whose name I don't want to say because it makes us seem like a racist podcast. <laughs> You are awesome. All right. Good night, everybody. Good, good night, night, everybody. Everyone. Dude. See you on Monday. Well, see you on uh, tomorrow Culture for your, your patrons. Yeah. If you want to watch the live show tomorrow, just become, become a, patron a patron tonight. Tonight. And you'll be good. Do Tonight's it. the night. Go do it. Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s. 
1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks.